0: Hey everybody, hope y'all are doing alright out there. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Interviews with Chris. This is your host Chris Tryon. I'm back and I want to say thanks. Thanks for hanging in there with me. I missed you all and today I've got a very special guest. Boot Ariola of BA Ferguson Guitars. Whether you're an experienced shredder on guitar or you're barely starting out, or for that matter, you don't even play the guitar, there's some great stories in this one. Whether it's finding your passion, tips on operating a small business, or for those that love guitars and instruments, some of the deeper history behind bringing them back to life and more. I got to know Boots so much better, and I honestly can't wait to call myself a proud owner of a BA Ferguson guitar. Not only because I think the designs and craftsmanship are incredible, and unparalleled to others, or because Boot is from my hometown, it's also because he's such a great guy. He puts so much of himself into his instruments, it's no wonder that the B.A. Ferguson slogan is, Love is Handmade. Such an incredible wealth of information and knowledge, and it really shows on this episode. Get plugged in and get ready to go, but just don't turn it up to 11. Enjoy. Hey, Boot. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Just another sunny day out here in Arizona. And yeah, what's going on in your world these days?
1: Oh, not a whole lot. I just uh, spent a lot of time in South Carolina. Uh, Did a trip over there for family reunion and used it to, uh, you know, we had a lot of stuff still in storage. So I I brought a bunch of that back. Uh, I did a bunch of stuff that I needed to do. Uh, in the shop, in order to get ready for this next batch, flew back out to South Carolina and then drove all the way back so i 've driven across the country three times in the span of a month and a half
0: <laughs> wow that's yeah. uh it's funny because I no longer really have any sort of ties to South Carolina, but um my dad actually lived by Spartanburg so oh, no it was way. west of hartsville nice and i've definitely been yeah you know, i've been in Columbia and Charleston as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm pretty familiar with like the Greenville and Spartanburg area. Oh yeah. So that's, that's kind of like a there. random thing. I, I was actually going to get into it a little little later, but yeah, I mean, driving out there from El Paso is a long way.
1: It is. And a third of the trip at least is all of Texas. Like, <laughs> You can't help it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah so it's, uh, but it was good. It was, it was a good time with the family. We, we sort of you know, we were, of course, doing all the social distancing that we were supposed to be doing. Uh, all the kids had masks and all that stuff, and we, I must have sanitized like 10 billion times a day, you know, and then it's funny, <laughs> like the further east, you know, there's all these complaints about all these other states like doing really bad with the social distancing, and I have to say at least Texas, despite how bad it, it's supposedly doing, like it's especially El Paso, like we're doing pretty good. Because uh, the further east you go, the more you can tell like people just don't care, <laughs> and so that was kind of like that was weird and surprising, and and but yeah, so we managed to you know keep our distance from people, and and then on the way back, it's like the amount of mask wearing, you know, climbed <laughs> as we came back here.
0: Yeah, I mean I'm just glad that, you know, you and your family are keeping safe and obviously not trying to get into any sort of politics, but oh, you sure know, yeah. besides that, the Carolinas are are really beautiful. You know, yeah, I really, really I really love that area out there. So it's really cool. I mean, you kind of saw I mean, a variety of like I don't know, temperature changes and just overall geographic changes, you know, going all the way out there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. And I can say for sure that I do not miss that humidity. Like, it just gets so much hotter, it feels like, because it's just, it sticks to you, you know, it just, it's so gross. And then, yeah, it just... And it makes you so tired. So yeah, I'm I'm glad to be in the hot heat, even though we've been like over 100 degrees for several days, like, I'm still glad to be out here (laughs) in El Paso.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the humidity is something, you know, whenever I'm out in those regions or in the south, isn't, well, I mean, well, obviously the Carolinas part of the south, but it's not something that I, I particularly miss. I will take dry heat over humidity any day. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah me too yeah any day
0: <laughs> well i mean also on the topic of your kids i mean one thing i was kind of even thinking about because originally we were doing this interview right now in the middle of the day we were originally going to do it at night you know after the your you know kids had gotten settled in but one thing i always kind of thought of is um are any of them currently rockers or maybe like future shredders on the guitar you think
1: oh sh- yeah totally like um and and you know it's one of those things that like i've i've been very careful to not try to uh sort of indoctrinate my own kids with any of the stuff that i've learned or anything like that like uh-huh. I, you know my dad tried to do that with me and i just wound up hating it you know he was big into mariachi stuff and, and he'd always tell me like oh you're gonna be Greater than Vicente Fernandez. and I'm like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, like, anyway, so you know, every once in a while, I'd, I'd show my kids some things, and, and I knew that if I taught any of them, you know, they'd probably wind up hating me and stuff. So, but my oldest daughter, <laughs> <laughs> just because I, I, you know, I, I get so particular, and you know, I can I can be harsh and stuff. So I just. I'm not going to give my kids lessons. I'm going to let them, you know, find their own way, and, and I'll even pay and for lessons if I own. have to. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so my daughter's done that, my oldest daughter, and she plays guitar and ukulele and messes around on the keys, and she has an amazing singing voice and just comes up with these amazing songs. And uh, But she's real down on herself. You know, she'll, she'll record it on her phone or something, and then, you know, she'll show it to some of us, and then she's just like, oh, it's garbage. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's it's part of the process. You just got to keep doing it. Just keep doing it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was like just even ask if your kids gravitate towards like wanting to work in the shop. I mean, saws and drills are probably not the ideal toys for like Mm -hmm. an eight-year-old. I don't know the ages of all your kids. (laughs) I mean, that's really cool that your daughter is, you know, picking up a guitar because I'm sure there's always going to be one kind of lying around.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, and and, uh, for a long time there, especially when we were in South Carolina, I would, you know, I would I would sing the kids to sleep. Sometimes I'd play guitar and, you know, it was almost like I was trying to reteach myself some things. And and in the meantime, I'd, you know, play for them while they slept. And so I think that's that's had some influence. Uh, What type of songs?
0: Like a like an ACDC song?
1: No, <laughs> <just> no, <laughs> I would, uh, you know, I got into bluegrass a lot out there. And then, so I started trying to do finger picking stuff and then really got into Delta blues. And so, uh, I would, uh, I would play some Elizabeth cotton. Like I would try to figure out freight train for them. And, uh, and then I would do a finger picking style of you are my sunshine and, and different things like that. And so, um, you know, as far as my repertoire there, that's about as far as it goes, but yeah, just just some old school type songs that I was getting into, and then my oldest son really got into Blaze and the Monster Machines. I don't know if you you know about that show. I think it's on Nickelodeon.
0: Unfortunately, uh, I don't. But you kind of yeah. got my attention there. It sounds pretty yeah.
1: cool. Well, you know, it's not your. It's not like your uh, your Bugs Bunny cartoons back in the day or Animaniacs. You know, like. <laughs> but it's. Oh, I love uh, those. Yeah, but it's like a CGI, like, you know, monster trucks that talk. And it's kind of like if Dora was monster trucks is the only way I can put it. <laughs> <laughs> Which doesn't sound too exciting now. And it really isn't. But <laughs> my son really got into Blaze and the Monster Machines. And one night I just kind of improv this story type song that I would play for him. And I think the reason for it was that, like, my youngest son was just so, like, I mean, he still is today. He was so rambunctious and just didn't want to go to sleep and was making a lot of noise. So then I was like, well, maybe I can reel him in by improving this song about my son hanging out with Blaze, the monster truck, and, you know, just it went from there. Totally ridiculous. But to this day, they still remember it. Every once in a while, I'll kind of I'll kinda mess around with that song. And
0: <laughs> no, that's listen. super cool, yeah, because I always think that... I mean, obviously, I can't tell the future, but I think, you know, later down the road, your kids would probably be like, yeah, you know, my dad, my old man in the workshop, you know, making some guitars, because I remember, you know, being in my dad's warehouse when I was super young, and there wasn't any, like, daycare, per se, because I was just brought into office, so I just remember, like, pallets, box cutters, dollies, invoices, that's like my, (laughs) that was my childhood, just being kind of lugged around in an old Chevy Lumina delivery van. And I mean, at the time, I was, I was glued to my Game Boy, you know, to to yeah. avoid boredom. You know, like that big gray Game Boy with the green um, green screen. But I mean, I really view those times with fondness. So I'm sure, like oh, yeah. like I said, your kids are gonna kind of look back and just be like, "Yeah, I remember my dad soldering some tone pots and
1: you know <laughs> yeah. all that good stuff." <laughs> oh yeah, and, and it's you know. Those are the kind of memories that I'm sort of after, I guess, with them. It's because I have those memories from my grandfather. He's the one that really taught me how to mess around with wood, how to problem solve. He was a, a construction worker and, and a carpenter. And, and uh, you know, we would drive around El Paso when I was a kid, and he would point out the buildings that he worked on. And, I mean, he worked on a lot That's of awesome. buildings. Yeah. You, you know, Elmer's Restaurant, which is closed now, sadly. But Elmer's on, on Montana. What
0: area of Montana was that on? It sounds super familiar.
1: Yeah, it's close to the airport. It's like on the way to the airport, right across, almost across from Bassett Center.
0: I'm maybe... pretty sure I have have seen it multiple times.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's, I mean, it was just such a great place to have breakfast at. And that was my grandfather's favorite place to go to. And, and he would take me there from time to time. And then he'd tell me like... You know, in 1945, which is when that place was built, you know, he'd be like, yeah, I was here in 1945. I was 18 years old and this was my first construction job. And it just was awesome to hear those stories. So that definitely has inspired me. Yeah. As far as. My no, I kids, love that. You know, yeah.
0: Yeah. I love hearing that. It's kind of funny for the listeners. When a boot said Montana, that's uh, Montana Avenue in El Paso, Texas. Mm-hmm. It's not the state of Montana. Yeah, Yeah. <laughs> yeah just for some context there.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he would tell me all the time, like, you know, this used to be outside the edge of town, you know, and, and that, that freaks me out now, because now... That's crazy it's like, to think. Yeah, it's bleeding all over the place, you know, it's it's insane, it's so huge.
0: Well, kind of getting more into that, I mean, talking a little bit more about you, when did you start playing the guitar?
1: Um, I was about... I was about 13 or 14, and... You know, I, I had gotten really into Nirvana and Weezer around the same time. I remember... Quintessential
0: plugging... gateway bands.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. And, uh, and and that was after, like, you know, before then, uh, I was listening to more, like, Guns N' Roses and...
0: Some Appetite for Destruction.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then there's a lot of Michael Jackson, too. But, yeah, I got into Nirvana and Weezer, and then I really got itching. I really got itching to play the drums. Honestly, I would come home from school and set my books up on my grandparents' recliner, just kind of like a drum set, you know, and, and I'd be like, okay, <laughs> this one's the snare. And, you know? and I would sit there with my pencils and try to like drum out some of those beats. And I mean, to this day, I really still can't do any of those Dave Grohl beats, but <laughs> cause I mean, they're pretty hard. But then the guitar really became appealing, and um, eventually my my mom you know, teamed up with my grandmother and saved up enough to get me a guitar from Juarez, you know. And for about a year, I just really drove them crazy with that thing. And then finally, a, a friend uh, sat down with me and taught me some chords, and you know, just, I guess, downhill from there, I guess. It depends well, on you
0: look I, at it. probably drove them a little less crazy with a guitar than with the drums,
1: yeah, for sure. <laughs> They're lucky we never had a drum set.
0: So the guitar was your legitimate first instrument, correct? Yes, uh-huh, yep. Okay, well, that's awesome. Well, I mean, even playing later down down the road, oh, well, I mean, playing guitar and drums, the band Smiley Kids, tell me more about that.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, so Smiley Kids was on a record label called Five Minute Walk with uh, Five Iron Frenzy, and then through a, a series of unfortunate events, they got let off the label. And so George Husney, he's the singer, principal songwriter and all that stuff. He, um, I met him through some friends, uh, through, through my buddy Rob Landerman. And he wanted to do like a, a farewell tour. And uh, at that time I was playing drums for Rob and, and uh, for also uh, Chris Turner. I don't know if you remember him. But we played together, and so that's how I got hooked up with that. And uh, you know, it was a it was a, a Christian punk band, and skate punk. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, skate punk, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I, I learned a lot about drums on that. Like, I wasn't the best drummer. I could definitely not play exactly like their original drummer, and that became very evident. So, but I learned a lot. And uh, the first half of the tour was absolute hell. Uh, But then the second half was really amazing. It was in the middle of winter. And I remember we showed up to this place in Iowa that the Smiley kids had frequented a lot. It was called Frank's House of Rock. And I had no idea, like, how well the band had done until, like, we pull up in the middle of... In the beginning of February, we pull up in Des Moines, Iowa to this venue. And there's a line outside the venue waiting to get in to see us play, you know, and I was just so shocked by that. I just, I
0: that's like, wow. awesome. Yeah, that was really cool. What made the first yeah. half hell?
1: Um, it was, band problems. Know, no, it wasn't necessarily band problems. It was more, I guess, venue problems. And I think, you know, I was just out of high school when this was going on. So I hadn't really ever been on the road. I didn't know what it was like to put together a tour or anything like that. But George was very, like, he's, I mean, to this day, he's still very DIY, like, you know, his mentality was like, man, you know, if this record label thing fell through and they're not going to do all this stuff, you know, at the very least, I'm going to go ahead and just do all this stuff myself because I know how, you know, so he's really, like, really resourceful. And uh, he put together this tour, but I think some of the first venues that got booked, like, they just weren't legitimate. They weren't, um, for example, the, the worst worst part was we showed up to Little Rock, Arkansas. You know, we had just played in Dallas. Dallas was a decent show. Uh, we, I think we had two shows there. But we show up to Little Rock, Arkansas, and we show up to this really sketchy place that, I mean, if you've ever been to Little Rock, it's sketchy as it is, you know, and, and, and I don't mean to offend any. Little Rock, Arkansas people, but back then it was, this is in the early 2000s. It was like, it was scary to be. Yeah, I've driven through
0: there. I haven't spent too much time.
1: Oh, yeah. It's a lot more beautiful now. Like they've done a lot to improve it, but back then it was just like, you know, there was no gentrification or or anything like that going on. It was all, you know, it was like El Paso back then. No one wanted to be downtown in the middle of the night, you know. And um, so. Um, is that
0: what the show was like? It felt almost kind of like, oh man, like this, this isn't maybe the best spot to be at right now.
1: Oh yeah. Well, you know, that part didn't really scare us at all, you know, cause back then it's like, you know, we, we would play shows just about anywhere, you know, it's, we're a bunch of young, yeah. unafraid kids, you know, it's, who cares, <laughs> you know? So, uh, but we show up to this place and it's in an alley. The entrance is in an alley and the doors are shut. The lights are off. No one's there. And Sounds inviting. Yeah, yeah. It's like, where's the show, right? Like, we we showed up on time. We were ready to go, and it was kind of a late show, so it was like 8 at night. And um, one of our band members just happens to see a piece of paper just kind of rolling down the alley, and they pick it up, (laughs) and they unfold it just out of curiosity, and it turns out it's a note for us. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> yeah. and it says, sorry, guys. Sounds like a movie. Right? <laughs> it was the weirdest thing. And, yeah, so it said uh, he opened up the note. Or she, I think it was uh, our friend Cheese that was playing in the other band. Opened up the note. And it said, uh, sorry, fellas. You know, had to cancel the show because I had to work tonight. And, uh, and we we're just like, what? Like, what is this? <laughs> and so... <laughs> uh he had their you know he had their the dude had his phone number written down on there so george calls him up and you know we're we're all pretty like miffed at this point and uh but george having been in in that scene on a label and stuff you know is, is at yeah. least trying to make good on seeing if we can get a place to stay and seeing if we can get at least some food or something like that and so he calls or the hop guy up. onto
0: another show or just whatever yeah to be done.
1: exactly exactly so he calls him, and the guy's like, Yeah, you can stay at my place. And hey, why don't you guys come down to my work and, and I'll feed you guys? And so we're like, Okay, fine. So we show up, and this guy's working at a 7 Eleven in a really bad part of town. <laughs> and we go inside, and he's pretty much just like, Yeah, yeah, just just grab whatever you want off the shelves and stuff. I won't tell my boss. <laughs> you know? <It's> like, what? <laughs> and so. We're like, okay, this is a little weird, but whatever. You know, I I think I got a hot dog or something, and, and Rob, I don't know, must have gotten some chips or something. He, someone was, I remember someone was weary of the hot dogs for sure, and, and I think uh, <laughs> I think I had already built an immunity to them. So I was just like, ah, who cares? Anyway, so he gets off his shift, and we go over to his house, and he lives at these apartments not too far from the Seven Eleven. But we get there. And, uh, he's got two other roommates and there's like no furniture in the place. And they have like three or four or maybe five cats and it just stinks really bad. And I'm super allergic to cats. Like I I have asthma and cats will get it going like really fast. And so immediately sleep in the van, (laughs) (laughs) well, I would, I I probably would have, I, I thought, you know, as I'm thinking about all this, I'm like, oh crap I'm gonna die tonight you know and uh (laughs) we're sitting there after a while you know it just it just does not seem like a good situation and uh the roommates are really kind of sketchy and you know we're just sitting there for a little bit and then finally George just kind of goes like hey guys you you guys in the band want to go to Walmart with me we'll we'll grab some some stuff for us to take tomorrow or whatever and all of us are like, yeah, yeah, let's, let's get out of here for a little bit. And so we all leave. And as we get into the van, he shuts the door. And as soon as he shuts the door, he's just like, we're leaving and we're not coming back. <laughs> so he had planned it out. He was just like, yeah, no, this isn't good. And so, yeah, we, we drove straight through to Alabama and stayed at a hotel that night. It just, but yeah, we had several things like that, that just didn't pan out. It, it was weird. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I, when you're talking about the note, when, when you're just kind of rolling down, you know, across the pavement, I was going to think like, oh, you're going to open it up and it's going to be like, we found you or we have cornered <laughs> you. Or, you know, you, know like, you made it sound like a movie or something. Right. Like, oh, man. Yeah. But yeah, I've had plenty of those situations as far as, you know, people are always trying to help out when you're on tour, but you're in maybe a particular place part of town that you're not really familiar with and even then you have to worry about your gear you know unfortunately you know you just you stay in in the house and what are you going to come out and all of a sudden there's nothing (laughs) you can't have any sort of tour so so i mean yeah definitely a many a a parking lot i've slept in um, oh yeah due to whatever situations like that
1: yeah and sometimes it's you know it's it's not necessarily like that the venue guy was trying to make it a bad situation sometimes I think oh no not at all yeah you know when you're younger there's just stuff you don't think about and I think that was sort of the case uh, with this guy it was like he didn't make a backup plan he didn't really think some things through which is fine like I used to host shows before then and that was a huge learning experience for me on that so
0: I mean another thing that I always kind of think about because even when I did some touring. There was still like the internet, you know. Like mm-hmm. I mean, well, not still. I mean, well, I'm saying it because we're just so technologically advanced right now. But I think about like back in the day for people that had to use a phone book, or mm-hmm. you know, had to like calls, you know, track somebody down, or you're driving halfway across the country just for somebody. To be like, um, yeah, um, there's no show. It's yeah. not like there was a cell phone <laughs> to contact you and let you know. You know, right? So I'm yeah. like, oh man.
1: Yeah, that, that, that's, that was a crazy thing about that back then. Like I did another tour afterwards with my own band, and we were using an atlas, you know, like a road atlas, and just trying to find our way using maps. Like <laughs> no GPS, none of that, no cell phone even, you know. <laughs> uh, we would stop at Kinko's, and we had our laptop, and we'd hook up to their Ethernet line because they would have free Internet that way. And then that's how we would get phone numbers sometimes if we didn't have them or, or check email, you know. But, yeah, it's it's changed so much.
0: Well, I love these tour stories, but I'm, I'm actually going to get straight to the point here. The million-dollar question oh is, what got you into building guitars?
1: Ah. um, A, a lot of things, honestly. You know, I, I always tell the story about when my mom broke my guitar. You know, she was really mad at me because... You know, she had given me a list of chores to do, and I was sitting on my bed playing the guitar, and, you know, she left for work, and it was a really bad job, and she came back four hours later to literally find me in the same exact spot. And because of that job, she kind of had a little bit of a nervous breakdown and took it out on my guitar. And so that sort of opened up a door to just exploring the guitar in general, because she felt so bad about that, that she reached out to some coworkers. So she was doing two jobs at the time. Like the job she was frustrated with was, you know, she was trying to change from working as a lab technician at a clinic to selling cars, but she still had the two jobs. The car salesman thing wasn't working out. So she quit that the day that she broke my guitar. (laughs) And, uh, so she went back to the clinic and, and told her friends there about what happened. And, you know the doctor she worked with ended up having a couple of guitars that he had laying around and sent her home with them. And other friends sort of donated guitars to me, and so by the end of that week, I had like seven different guitars, and they were all so different and cool. One of them was a a Japanese-made Epiphone FT120. There's a Korean-made. That's made. awesome. Yeah. And uh, there's a Korean made, I think it was called Montaya. It was like, I would always look at it and go like, shouldn't it say Montoya? You know, like, but it said montaya. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was a cool guitar and it sounded probably better than all those guitars. And then there's an, an electric, it was an old Harmony with a soap bar, gold foil pickups. And um, was it like a Bobcat or something? No, it wasn't as nice as a Bobcat. It was like one of the lower rung guitars, you know, really thin. Because those
0: gold foils rule.
1: Oh, yeah. They sound amazing. In fact, I still have those pickups. And I've used uh, one of those pickups in in my guitars for recording in the past. And then there's a a classical. It was like a Hernandez or, or... I can't remember, but it was a really nice classical, like straight from Spain. Um, So all that just got my curiosity going. And, um, you know, of course, one of those guitars would break, and then I would start trying to fix it. And then because I played in church a lot at the time through other musicians, you know, I got to meet Barry Martin.
0: Who you apprenticed under.
1: Yeah. mm -hmm. And that's sort of how... How I got into it, you know, I, I eventually ended up with this Fender acoustic because my Epiphone guitar got, uh, it got left in the trunk of my mom's car in 100 degree weather. And uh, and so oh, when I went man. to get it... Out, I mean, yeah. were, were
0: the frets oxidized?
1: <laughs> no, but every single brace inside the guitar was loose. And that was just like, the, the top kind of caved in. Oh neck, man. Yeah, like the neck was sticking way up to where the strings the action on the strings were like two inches off the fretboard. It was horrifying. And um, later on, you know, I got this Fender Acoustic, which my mom ran over at one point in time by accident. And nothing happened to it, which is (laughs) hilarious. Like I left it leaning up. It was my fault for leaving it leaning up against the car, right? But I was getting my other stuff and I leaned it up against the car. And then my mom decided to get in the car and move so she could get closer to the door and as she backed up the guitar fell just right under the back tire and she felt the entire car just like bump up and down you know and then she got out <laughs> she saw the guitar case and she started crying and stuff cuz yeah you know, she initially felt bad about my first guitar and, and her smashing it so now she sees this other guitar and she's just like no and uh, i mean the it was and it was a chipboard case you know those cardboard flimsy cases yeah. And the front of the face of this case was just like shredded and she was afraid to open it. I got over there and I'm trying to be really nice, obviously, because it's like I already see that my mom feels really bad about this. And so I, I go and, and I carefully open up the case and sure enough, the guitar's fine. <laughs> I don't know how. Oh, man. Yeah, but it was fine. It, it went out of tune a little bit and that was it. But later on that guitar started falling apart because out here in El Paso, like in the Southwest, it's, I mean, it's so dry. It's, it's not really good for guitars. And so the bridge started coming off and, you know, I took it to my grandfather because he was the guy that like he would fix everything, you know, (laughs) and if he didn't know how he'd find a way. And he started explaining to me some of what he thought he needed to do to fix this thing. And, it kind of scared me a little bit, and so, because I, I had screwed up that FT-120 trying to fix it when it was in the back of my mom's car, so I finally just broke down, and I was like, you know what, let's go see Barry, I need to meet him, and talk to him about this thing, and so, yeah, I went to his shop, saw all the guitars laying around, and just was like, immediately right then, I was like, this is what I need to do with my life, <laughs> And, uh, of course, you know, as I'm trying to beg Barry for an apprenticeship, you know, he's telling me, no, 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 you need to, you need to finish school. You need to get out of town. Uh, you need to go do something with your life. Don't do this crap. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, uh, but that's sort of how it all started. Eventually by the time I was 21, I was already going to UTEP to become an English teacher. And he got to meet my fiance now wife, you know, and, uh, and was just, uh, I guess, really impressed by her. So he was just like, hey, you know, he's not going to create competition. She won't let him. Let me offer you an apprenticeship. And and he did. And two years later, I moved to South Carolina and started my own business there. And uh, the rest is history. Yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, thanks for going in depth on that, because I was definitely going to ask about going into, before the deep dive in the guitar repair and luthier career, that you wanted to become a teacher, you know, an English Mm -hmm. teacher. Was that, was there like a particular grade, like a high school English teacher? Or like what grade and what do you think it was that made you not want to pursue that anymore?
1: Yeah, I kind of figured it was going to be high school English and history as well. I really love history. And even to this day, I still just do a lot of research when it comes to history. But for me, it was... It was more a selfish thing. It was more like I had a friend who was a teacher and uh, she kind of sold me on the idea of like, hey, you know, you get to work X amount of months throughout the year and then you get the summer off. And, uh, you know, back then teaching was a little bit more of a steadier job than it is now, uh, you know, with all the all the unfortunate cutbacks and all that stuff. It's, It's just super awful that that has happened but back then you know for me it was just like oh cool like stability yeah that sounds cool like so yeah so I um yeah I just kind of it seemed like and I don't mean to insult any teachers out there like it seemed like the easy thing to do and then I got into it and it was really hard especially because I I was taking a lot of courses at UTEP of things that didn't pertain to what I wanted to do at all. You know, like we had a, we had a class on note taking, like how stupid was that? You know? <laughs> uh, uh, but because I like took a year off school, like I was placed into remedial math also. <laughs> so that was really aggravating. And so I kind of gave up on it and then Barry offered me the apprenticeship. And then I was just like, yeah, you know what? Like, let me try that. And that was like school also, you know, that wasn't just, uh, It wasn't all fun and games. It was, you know, he was teaching me and it was all hands-on. And yeah, that's just kind of how it went. Um, I guess I would say that to really answer your question, I guess, was that like, long story short, guitar building and manufacturing and repairs intrigued me more than the idea of trying to teach. Yeah, basically just trying to teach in general, like getting to get my hands dirty and create, um, that was way more satisfying to me, you know? So that's kind of how it all went.
0: Well, you're my fourth guest that has had a background in education. Obviously, everyone has a different story, but it's really interesting to see that there's that lean towards education as a a career when first starting off on the collegiate path, maybe when someone's per se like a musician, but... Mm. Back to the world of guitars. Styles of your B.A. Ferguson guitars are hard to pinpoint as far as where the inspiration comes, but on your Guitar Knobs podcast episode, mm-hmm. you said Stromberg guitars. I mean, I see some, you know, Gibson Melody Maker and even some Rickenbacker on others, mm-hmm. but which other guitars or guitar makers do you draw inspiration from?
1: There's some modern ones that I can easily say have been really inspiring one of those is elliot guitars they're they're out of uh, north carolina and i just remember i had some some friends that went up when i lived in south carolina that went up to charlotte a lot in that area and so those musician circles had friends that you know played out live and played professionally and, and they had these guitars and i started looking at them online and i was just floored by how amazing they looked Right, and then at the same time, I was uh, part of a, a message board called ReRanch.com, and I met Doug Cower through that. <clears throat> you know, everyone's just everyone's a luthier there, and they're all sharing their projects and everything. And but Doug's were were the most compelling to me. And apparently, like we've been doing this almost about the same time. I think he's been doing it just a little bit longer than I have. But uh, you know, he started out as a cabinet maker. And then did guitars, which is actually quite fitting, you know. The, in history, the first guitar makers were cabinet makers, and the and the violin luthier guilds had a big problem with that.
0: Probably like shaping the contours. Like I'm actually kind of familiar with kitchen cabinets. <laughs> that was one of my jobs when I was younger, is helping install them, and I knew about mm-hmm. like different moldings and things of that so- oh, yeah. sort. So when I was seeing other people kind of just install them or you know customize them. You know, I'm no woodworker by any means. I mean, I could use like a saw and a drill and do certain things. But, <laughs> sure, you yeah. know, I was always amazed. I was like, if you liked guitars, I'm sure you can make a guitar. You know, that yeah. type of thing.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and you, you know, you're dealing with structural integrity and all that stuff. And and so, but I would look at Doug's builds and I was just floored by it. You know, I was just like, wow, this guy, I mean, he he really has a, an eye for detail. And, and there were times I would call him up, you know, and, and he would, just really generously like share information and just chat with you you know and so like those were some of my first like inspirations on top of Stromberg and all that stuff I was doing a lot of repairs and, and I was doing some building back then um, and I had drawn up I had a sketchbook full of guitar ideas that I had drawn out and then sometimes I'd take a piece of plywood and just draw something up and then shelve it you know and the Stromberg, that influence came from uh, this guy, uh, really nice guy that lived there in Hartsville, Brought me these uh, Stromberg Style C, I think is what they're they're called. They're uh, it's the Venetian cut. Yeah, it's the Style C uh, Venetian cut acoustic guitars. They were made in the 20s and 30s, and and they were really ahead of their time. It was a guitar that that had a bolt on neck. And they, they sort of pivot. There's a wing nut on the inside. So you can pivot the guitar neck angle so that you can play more slide stuff. And then you can pivot it the other way so that you can you have traditional action on there. And I just was floored by the use of bends and curves and points and all that stuff that, that Stromberg had used in that. And so that's always been a detail in, in the stuff I do. There's always got to be a curve and a point. There's some something just aesthetic about that for me, yeah. So I, I guess that, that was those are some of my uh, my earlier influences.
0: Well, you've definitely got a lot of beautiful designs. I mean, you've got the Shirley, the Walker, the Ranger, which is a mm-hmm. collaboration with Greer Amps. Yeah, and I mean, just the Flyweight series, which are all all guitars. I mean, I and I've got to say, man, I really truly love that flyweight, Shirley single P90, oh, and just thanks. like the the wooden finish. Yeah. Oh man, that mahogany, I believe that's what it was, but uh, absolutely gorgeous. And honestly, it's such a great price, you know. Thanks, so man. hopefully Santa treats me well this Christmas. No, but really, the next guitar that I'm purchasing, I'm reaching out, but have you ever thought of adding a bass to your line?
1: Actually, yes, I have. There's going to be a flyweight bass, and that's been in the works for some time. In fact, my buddy Ben Walker, who's the one that I named the Walker after, he, he owns the original one, the very first one that I ever made.
0: What's the design
1: look like? It'll be like the Shirley uh, body style. Um, there's actually, okay, and I, and I might post some... Uh, some teasers? S- yeah, or some some flashback Friday photos or whatever of some of the bases that I've made in the past, but they were all based on the Shirley uh, shape, just a little bit bigger.
0: I mean that even then, that kind of reminds me a little bit of, um, you know, for most people listening in, some people don't even know what guitars we're gonna be talking about, but <laughs> even kind of like a Rickenbacker four thousand three style, yeah, you know, kind of like with the horn kind mm-hmm. of being a little sharper there, you know, yeah, because that's exactly. what surely kind of reminds me a little bit of.
1: Oh yeah, definitely, and yeah, that that Rickenbacker influence comes out a little bit more with the bass, and and you'll see it. It's like. It's there, and a little bit of that is a little bit accidental too, which is just, is just so I don't know. I think that's cool, but uh, <laughs> but yeah. So it's going to be a no, really I love it. Yeah, it's going to be a really thin-bodied uh, bass, uh, much like the the Rickenbacker. It's going to be a set neck. Um, it's going to have P ninety-shaped pickups, but they're going to be P bass or Ooh. jazz bass pickups inside. Let's see what else. Um, but I'm I'm re- you know, I've got uh, a standing order for a guitar for Brad Wood, who recorded uh, Sunny Day Real Estate back in the day and and uh, Liz Fair. One of your favorite bands. Stuff. Yes, absolutely. It, man, Brad Wood is such a cool guy. He's uh, just super nice and, and, you know, met him at the Nam show two years ago. Just just kind of saw him, talked to him. Uh, no, I, I don't think I got to. I remember being afraid to talk to him because uh, I was in the Greer booth and one of uh, Nick's workers – started talking to brad wood just out of nowhere and i was just like oh my gosh that's brad wood like and i'm you know in my head freaking out and of course i didn't turn into anything because i was too afraid to talk to him but then this past winter you know he came back by the booth and uh you know I, I introduced myself and then just went from there so we hit it off you know he's really friendly to talk to really super nice and you know shared all these stories about uh recording with with sunny day real estate and the fire theft and all that stuff and uh, anyway, so he ended up placing an order for a flyweight, uh, I think in, in March. And we started talking, and, you know, he's a bass player first. So that was his first instrument. And so, you know, from there I asked, you know, well, you know, is, is it cool if I pick your brain on some bass stuff since, you know, because I'm not really a bass player, but I, you know, I, I need to just kind of get into a bass player's head about making some more basses. And I told him, you know, one of the sounds that I absolutely love was the sound of Nate Mendel's bass on the Fire Theft record. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it just, he had some sort of P bass going on, and it just, the sound was like, it kind of growled at you. And I was just like, man, I just... I absolutely love that sound. And then he went into details like, man, Brad Wood will just like, he'll tell you all, all the details, you know? And so he started talking about that particular bass and what it was and, and how, um, uh, Nate Mendel had actually gotten it from Brad at one point in time and, and done some modifications to it and all that stuff. And, uh, so that was really cool. And then I think Fender made a a custom shop version of that. And, and Nate Mendel at one point in time, didn't know which base was which, cause it was such an exact reproduction, you know, <laughs> which was really cool anyway. So, so all that to say that hopefully I can pick more at, at Brad Wood's brain about bass stuff and, and include some of that stuff into a flyweight base. Um, that's, that's the idea right now. Yeah.
0: No, I love that because I was gonna say, don't break my heart because I'm, I'm primarily a bassist here. Oh. <laughs> but uh, to break things up, from what I understand, you like would you rather questions,
1: right? Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Oh, those are yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. well I've created. <laughs> I hope I hope well, I like-
0: created a random. <laughs>
1: I was going to say, I hope they're uh, on the level of Tom Haverford's uh, Would You Rather questions is all I've got (laughs) to (laughs) say.
0: Well, I've created a random batch of questions. Some I've created myself. Others are questions that your fans have created. Are you ready?
1: Sure, yeah. Yeah. Let's do it.
0: Okay, first one here that I came up with. If you were reincarnated into a guitar, what would it be?
1: Oh, man. Uh, It depends on on how much abuse I guess I'm willing to take, right, over the years. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The first guitar that comes to mind is a 1930s Martin 00018. That's partially because I have... uh, Sentimental? Yeah, a lot of sentimental value towards those. Those were some of the first. uh, I ended up uh, in my apprenticeship, towards the end of my apprenticeship, Barry had me restore it was a 1936 triple O 18. And it was, I mean, it was broken and shambles. And uh, when it was all said and done, it just sounded so good. And it was just, it was just like, you know, when you have a good grilled steak and then you put that butter on and it just kind of melts and then, you know, you die of a heart attack happily. It, It was just like, that was the sort of feeling this guitar kind of gave you, you know, it was just like, Oh, man. And my, some of that might have been that, you know, had worked on it so long and saw it to completion. But that's probably what it would be. Uh, acoustic guitars are, are the things that really, really excite me. You know, so, yeah.
0: That's a good choice. I mean, um, another one here. You've okay. got a Gibson Les Paul in your left hand. You've got a Fender Telecaster in your right hand and a campfire in front of you. Which one are you throwing hmm. in the
1: fire? Oh, man, that's tough. Let's see here. I guess... um, I mean, because it it would depend on the year, I guess. Let's go there. (laughs) (laughs) I'll make it complicated. It would depend on the year. I'd start looking over them, seeing, you know, which one's older, which one's from what era. If it was a Norlin era, Les Paul, then maybe... I would throw it in. If the Fender was a pre-CBS Fender, you know, obviously I would keep it. Uh, <laughs> but if it was like, <laughs> if it was like something from, I don't know. Oh, man. Ah, that's a tough one. Uh, at the end of the day, i probably go with. Oh, that's. Oh, why? Why are you doing this to me, man? <laughs> <laughs> oh man okay I'm just gonna assume that the uh that the less Paul is maybe one that's not worth very much and it's so damn heavy that it's gonna provide enough fire for the night <laughs> so, <laughs> to keep me warm so <laughs> we'll go with that
0: <laughs> yeah those are my two favorite guitars so I may have to throw myself yeah. in the fire before I would actually do that um, yeah yeah you're one right. of my favorite guitars. I, I almost said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah because i've got a american telly I, mm-hmm. years i think like 2003 i mean used you could pick them up between like 600 800 whatever but i put a, a lipstick pick up a dan electro in the neck and um yeah i love it i love that guitar and i've actually never owned any sort of les paul but one of my favorite les pauls i ever played was a 19 19- it was either a 68 or 69, but I believe it was a 1969 Les Paul Custom at Sonic Ranch. Mm, and, nice. it, you know, it's funny because there's a lot of guitars where I'm like, oh, I like this guitar more, I like that guitar. But it honestly all just kind of depends on when you actually just have it on your lap or you're playing it. Because I've played many Les Pauls, and I'm like, oh, man, I don't... It's one of my favorite guitars, but I don't, I don't like this at all, you know? So yeah, it, it just yeah. kind of depends on, you know, which tree it was cut from or what you're holding oh, yeah. at that what you're holding at that point but even then are you oh, totally. are you a single coil a humbucker mini humbucker or p90 type of guy
1: oh man i'm a am a little bit of a universalist when it comes and and i'm very particular with some of those sounds my favorite absolute sound is the neck pickup position if i had if i had to choose to have any guitar and it was the only guitar I could have with limited options or whatever. Then it would be something with just a single coil, uh, possibly either a a gold foil or or some sort of P90 in the neck position, and and oh, that, that would yeah that would do it for me. In the bridge position, it would it would have to be a a hot P90. But I love I love a good Strat single coil. I'm not a huge fan of the middle single coil in a Strat which is why I like a telly better, but then the telly is just a different sound as well. So yeah, it's, you know, I'm just one of those. I would have to have one of each and hopefully one day I can, I'll definitely have a Les Paul, uh, but it would have to depend on the year, you know, cause some of them are great. Some of them are well-made. Some of them are not so much, but you can take just about almost any Les Paul and do some work on it and get it to sing for days. Um, yeah, so <laughs> that, that was a tough one, man.
0: I'm uh, in the same boat there, but you were talking about that Martin guitar. Um, You've dealt with many guitars in your experience as a luthier, but what's the most expensive item you've ever worked on or repaired?
1: Most expensive? <clears throat> there's a couple. Um, There was a 1966 gibson super 400 that was one of the first ones that i had um i don't even know which one that is like what body style is it
0: like a 335 or something or like sort
1: of it's almost like if you took the body of a jumbo acoustic a gibson jumbo okay but made it an arch top with f holes um, huh. and, okay. Okay. And, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then two humbuckers, you know, and, and then a really big fancy trapeze tailpiece. It's a pretty thick body. Gosh, those things are amazing, uh, from the sixties. And, uh, yeah, at the time, this was right before the, the, the bottom fell out of the economy in 2008, right around that time, uh, someone came around and, and, you know, sold the guitars to me and, And, uh, and it was kind of a little joint venture, like Barry helped me get it. You know, I was, I was in South Carolina at the time. And and so we talked over the phone about this guitar and we're like, yeah, we can, we can probably flip this guitar. It's in really good shape. And this guy had kept it under his bed and then passed away. So his other friend was trying to help him sell the guitars, you know, to clear out his friend's estate for his wife. And and so got the guitar. You find it on Craigslist or something? No, no. He just came to the shop and brought it in.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. So, he brought the guitar in. We got it. It was in relatively good shape. The neck was coming off, and that was the only thing because it had been kept under a bed for so long.
0: To be expected, right? I mean,
1: yeah, yeah. And you know, it's a hide glue joint, uh, so that hide glue comes apart with the hot, humid moisture in South Carolina. And so it was a relatively easy fix. Um, but that thing was valued at about at the time. It was valued at about eighteen thousand. Oh man! And I think even at that time, just to get one from the custom shop, it was about eighteen thousand to start. Um, Honda Civic or guitar? <laughs> exactly. Um, now the guitar, the the instrument that was more expensive than that that I've gotten to fix. Um, well, there's a couple. I've gotten to restore some really expensive golden era Martins but probably one of the most expensive instruments that would top just about everything was a Hutto mandolin, uh, H U T T O. I believe the guy's name was John Hutto. And he was from South Carolina from Hartsville actually. And he moved to Georgia and built these amazing mandolins. He had built about 140 some odd mandolins before dying of a heart attack. So they're rare. And, uh, So they're super rare. Um, I had number 123 that came into my shop. And the story goes, like, the guy who owned this mandolin uh, was, was a nice old man that lived in Hartsville. And he had been up to my shop in the early days. He came down with dementia. And so, like, he would wait for his wife. His wife worked at the Walmart in town. And... He would wait for his wife to get off work by like literally playing this. The thing was valued at 26000 And he would play this mandolin up and down the parking lot of Walmart every day for years until he passed away. When he passed away, his wife brought me the mandolin and she asked me to fix it and resell it for her. And it was in relatively good shape except that in his last days, the old man had taken the mandolin and, and he had put a uh, nail polish on this one little part that, that he had worn out with his fingernails. Uh, you know, he was trying to cover it back up and then he, he took a bottle of shellac and just sprayed the entire mandolin down, you know, <laughs> with the strings on it and everything, just sprayed it down. Uh, I guess he was just trying to give it back. It's old school sheen or whatever. I don't know, but it was, I mean, And so it was one of these things that like, Oh, I've been trained for this. Like one of the earliest expensive instruments that I got to work on while I was, I was working for Barry was this 1930s Gibson mandolin. And it was a similar situation. Someone had sprayed some stuff over it and we had to sit there with a piece of wire wool and a little bit of orange oil and just gently just keep on rubbing until we rubbed off the sprayed on stuff and got to the lacquer like because you can't you can't just put paint stripper on it you know you'll take all of it off because it's lacquer you know so that's that's the way you do it without having to refinish it is like you just gently remove layers until you get to the original layer and then once you're there you stop so it was a very similar thing I had to do that with this mandolin and it was oh gosh it was such a pain in the ass but in the end it was just so worth it and it sounded amazing and uh, and I think we refretted it as well, and and did a couple of other just maintenance things that it really needed done. I think some of the the, the binding had separated on, on one spot, and we fixed that. And uh, yeah, it was it was valued starting at twenty six thousand. Wow. Yeah, yeah, you know, and at that point in time, you know, it's really scary, but you have to sort of tell yourself like well you know it's people that are putting a value on this and if I do the original maker justice and and leave no trace that I was ever there then it's going to be all right and as long as you're after honoring the original maker then then you're good to go you know
0: well the two lessons I've learned right now are I'm going to keep an eye out for a Hutto mandolin at any sort of garage sale <laughs> and second that's right I shouldn't be spraying all my instruments with schlack yeah, well, not don't, that I don't have, spray but... with
1: anything. Yeah. <laughs> or, or enamel or polyurethane, nothing. Just, just leave the damn thing alone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but um, some other questions here that I've kind of concocted. I've researched what you like to listen to, and I've talked to you about it. Oh, cool. Starflyer 59, Sunny Day Real Estate, Godspeed, yeah. Black Emperor are your top three from what I understand. Yeah, so, yeah. I think you also like the Cars, but Mm -hmm. I'm sure you obviously love a lot of bands, but who else do you like? Is there a band that has kind of totally changed your life, kind of similar to talking about how, you know, Weezer, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of got you into playing some guitar?
1: Yeah, uh, one band that I, I absolutely love and I kind of fell out of touch with for a little while until they put out an album just last year. That totally blew my mind um, was the Appleseed cast. Oh man, and, great uh, band. I mean... Yeah. Yeah. And I've gotten to see them live before when I was younger. You know, they came through El Paso and I was just floored by the drummer, like the drummer that they had in uh, during Mare Vitalis and Low Level Owl 1 and 2 and Conversations, I think it was, it was just super creative just his patterns and all that stuff and i love patterns that's that's my thing you know it's if it's not curves and points it's it's patterns right <laughs> and uh i would listen to them and it oh man i just for a long time i, I a had my band. walkman I mean, cd they, they're player they're on
0: yeah. deep elm um, mm-hmm. out of kansas i think lawrence kansas um yeah yeah and, yeah, and it really was cool because i
1: you know back then i was trying to do an e-zine which never went anywhere but i actually got to interview them I had this little tape recorder it was a little mini cassette recorder and i and i did an interview with them with uh, chris Chrisy, i think it is how you i don't know how do you how you pronounce his last name but him and the other guitar player aaron um i, I did an interview with them and asked them all these questions and we got through the interview and I checked my tape, and, and something went wrong with the player, and the whole thing was lost, and it was so sad. But yeah, they've been one of the most influential bands for me, um, I guess even to date. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, could, I could go on and on about that stuff.
0: Staying on the same topic, I saw Jeremy Ennick. For those tuning in yeah. that don't know, he's the vocalist and one of the guitarists of Sunny Day Real Estate. I saw him a couple <clears throat> of years ago when he was doing that. Nice. Return of the Frog Queen tour, and I oh, was Oh, yeah, I saw him on that away. tour, too. Yeah, that's oh, you awesome. Did? Oh, man. Yeah. It was honestly, like, maybe, like, a top 10 show for me. Like, I didn't go into it mm-hmm. thinking, like, oh, this is going to kind of blow me away, but that really intimate setting and that particular album being played, that was just one yeah. of those shows that kind of just floored me, yeah, to be honest. Yeah,
1: and he had just come out with that new album, Ghosts, And that album album was, yeah, it's an amazing album. And then he tops it off with this tour, and then I think he played a couple of songs off that album too. Like, uh, but yeah, I saw him at Cat's Cradle in North Carolina. Yeah,
0: he has a he has a song. I think, oh man, it's gonna kill me. I don't remember. I think there's a song called like Design or something. Um, Day's Design. Yeah. Yeah. Oh oh man, he played that on that particular uh, show. You know, because Mm -hmm. he didn't just purely just play return of the frog queen he played a couple of other tracks but Mm -hmm. oh man that it was such a uh, it was almost a cathartic experience to be quite frank yeah you know because i I obviously love a wide variety of music um i guess i i I don't want to say like oh i cater to punk or hardcore or anything that's a little bit heavier i obviously love so many different things we could go from cool jazz to to techno or or i don't even know mm-hmm. if, whatever people are yeah like, oh, hardcore but yeah <laughs> <all the laughs> but stuff. i mean yeah. that kind of like even softer setting was incredible mm-hmm. you know and it, there's obviously like some heavier parts and built-up parts but no 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 yeah I just, uh, when we're talking about sunny day real estate i had to throw that in there where did you see them
1: uh at cat's cradle in, in north carolina which is oh close to, okay okay yeah oh, i can't remember the town now but uh, it's the same place I got to see, or close to the same place that I got was to see. Was it like Asheville or sunny something? Sunny It was close to Asheville. It was more like, um, I think it's on the way to Raleigh. It's kind of like in between Charlotte and Raleigh, somewhere in that area. Huh. Um, cool. yeah, Great show. Not, you
0: know? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was oh, yeah. amazing. Kind of a random one here, but what's your okay. personal favorite color on, on a guitar?
1: Uh, hands down. Uh, will almost always be cherry red. Um, that one's an Ooh. easy one. Cherry red with a white or, or an off-white pickguard and a black pickup, or black pickups or nickel-plated pickups. Uh, just about every time. Yeah, for me.
0: I love it. Yeah, my base is a a midnight wine. Yeah. That's my first base. That's like what my strategy. Two thousand four, and yeah, it's uh, it's funny because I don't really even care about the color red. But there's something about yeah. that basin that I is just like oh man I love it.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. That's my absolute favorite color of all time in general is red. So like that cherry red is just so right. My my strat I have a fat strat and that one's that that midnight wine color as well. I like a Fiesta red okay, but I'd almost prefer like a like a Haban- habanero orange or, or something like a red orange over. Over Fiesta Red, you know. So then, then it starts getting different there. But um, and then <laughs> probably second to that would be like uh, like a Sonic Blue or a Daphne Blue, you know. Ooh, ooh, yeah,
0: I love those as well. But um, this is going to be my last question that I've I've made up. Who who are some sure. artists whose music you really enjoy that you'd like to have on your roster? You know, if you had to pick one or two or something.
1: Sure, sure, of course. You know, it would be. Jeremy Enoch, Jason Martin, Chris, and in, in the Appleseed cast, all those guys. Um, it, it's funny. Like, I made a list one time, and it was just kind of a, a wish list of artists I'd like to see playing my stuff. And one of them was Tom Petty. And then, like, 30 days later, Rest I kid peace. you not. Yeah, like 30 days later, I kid you not, he passed away. And I was so, like... Oh man, I'm gonna stop making this list. (laughs) You know, no one else on this list can die. You know, but oh man, Uh, probably you too would be one of those as well. Um, But I'd also like to see. You know, there's a lot of really amazing up and coming female artists that are just they're just amazing. Yeah. And, and it's funny because, you know, like, I, I don't know, I, I, I sort of consider myself a feminist. I, I was raised by a single mother, um, who was also an immigrant and, and I saw her really struggle through some, just through some bullshit, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I always say that, you know, being raised as a, you know, just as far as in a household with, with your mom kind of changes the way you think about things sometimes because I don't have a brother and sister around or anything like that with me. I have a brother and half sister, but it, you know, definitely kind of different.
1: Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. And, but, you know, uh, having to experience like, you know, and and it's not even like I got to experience, I I got to see my mom sort of conquer some of these things or sort of, you know, so it, it changes your perspective. So, so nowadays it's like, you know, across Facebook forums or whatever, you know, you hear these old guys complain that, oh, you know, we don't have guitar heroes anymore and and music's gone to crap and all this stuff. And then like you hop onto Instagram and you see like Annie plays guitar or Kate Davis or Ginger Cowgirl. Like you, you see all these people like that are totally just making it on their own, working really hard and, and composing some amazing stuff man and i'm just like yeah here's your guitar heroes right there like and so yeah any any of them if they if they wanted uh, one of my guitars and stuff i'd happily be like yes of course here it is like <laughs> so yeah the to answer, to awesome. answer that question very broadly
0: <laughs> no i love that and enough of my questions here are some random fan questions okay Sarah from out in San Diego asks, what's your biggest source of inspiration?
1: Wow. Um, That one's a tough one uh, because I, I feel like it's changed over the years and and mainly it's because my, my focus has had to change. Originally there was an inspiration and part of it comes from, you know, growing up in poverty and and all that stuff as a kid and, and, You know, so there was an inspiration to, and not that there's anything wrong with it, but there's an inspiration to to want to do exponentially better. So originally my my inspiration was that of like, you know, I've got to become the best and I've got to become big and I've got to become this thing that my kids will really look up to and will inspire them to do better. And um, frankly, what that led to was, a whole lot of working and a whole lot of them not seeing me a whole lot. And that was really heartbreaking. And that's part of the reason why we left South Carolina, you know, was to minimize and to be more present, you know. So I would say nowadays, like, my true inspiration is my kids and my wife to be in a place where I really enjoy what I'm doing and also to be present for them. And, yeah, yeah. That's my inspiration.
0: (laughs) No, I love that answer. And Jesse from El Paso asks, everyone has a lick they shred while trying a new guitar.
1: What's yours? Oh, gosh. I generally will go between a couple of things. Every once in a while, I'll do a little apple seed cast lick. Very rarely will I do a Starflyer 59 or Sunny Day Real Estate lick, honestly. But... It's usually like a little bluegrass lick in g or another sort of bluegrass finger picking thing that I do um I'll start with a g and then go to a C, but then I'll slide up to a D but with the c chord voicing, you know like <laughs> so yeah it's that's usually what i do uh, but nothing nothing fancy i'm I'm actually not a very good guitar player <laughs> so.
0: No, you're you're great. I've seen you play some stuff live. But um as far <laughs> as on the live video, no, you're good. But um Anonymous fan from Arizona asks, what's the most outrageous custom build you've ever done?
1: The most outrageous. Oh gosh. Um
0: like have you been asked to do like a BC Rich or something?
1: No. I'm just kidding. No I don't know. <laughs> they, Well, I, you know, I have and I've had to say no. Like you you get B C Rich to make you that, right? <laughs> <laughs> But uh, probably the most outrageous one, I will say, um, oh, I got it. I got it. Well, there's two things. Um, <laughs> if you know me well, you know that I'm okay with bass, right? As long as it's got four strings, five strings is kind of pushing it. Six, I, I you know, I'm like, look, you got to stay out of the guitar player's register, okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> so... Did somebody request something like that? Yeah. So, so I built a six string bass for a guy. Um, thankfully, like he played like in a prog rock band. So in my mind, back then I was a lot more picky about that stuff, you know? So I, I, I was just like, yeah, you're doing six strings fine. You're playing a prog rock band fine. Like it's it's justified, right? Because I was proud and stupid back then. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and it sounded great. And the guy had, like also played jazz. So like it totally, I mean, he's an amazing guy. Anyway, so, but one of the most recent ones I did just before leaving South Carolina was an acoustic. It was a dreadnought shape. I call my dreadnought shape the peacemaker, and uh, it's a little bit different than a dreadnought, but it still classifies as a dreadnought, and the guy wanted a lighter colored wood, right, and he was like, well, you know, all my other guitars are mahogany, rosewood, blah, 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 you know, I'm thinking maybe a maple, but I'm not too particular, so he wanted the style of the Pickguard to be like a Grammar guitar. I don't know if you've ever seen a Grammar um, I have not Yeah, spelled G-R-A-M-M-A-R I believe, uh, which I think is how you're supposed to spell Grammar anyway, but there were some guitars out of the 60s and talk about points and curves like they had it going on to the nines and it's, you know, like the gaudiest country western type guitars you could ever lay your eyes on and so his inspiration was the grammar guitars he wanted a guitar that was kind of hearkening back to the grammars he wanted wanted a double pick guard on the face and everything he wanted a purloid binding purloid pick guard and then this like orange burst right not not a not a regular tobacco sunburst or three tone or whatever orange burst <laughs> so i was like okay let, let me see what i can do with this so <laughs> so yeah, we, we did it. I, I I did a maple neck with a persimmon fretboard, all light colored woods. Then the body, the back and sides were quarter white oak or red oak. Actually, it was red oak. And when you quarter saw, when you do quarter oak, um, it has these striations in the wood that are really pretty, uh, when it's perfectly quarter sawn. It's just this like wild grain looking stuff. Um, so I did that. Did a spruce top. Did the, perloid binding. It was it was so gaudy. Um, at the end of the day, though, it <laughs> sounded so good. It just it's like wow, oak sounds really good in an acoustic, you know. So, but yeah, that that's about the wildest one. And I might have to post a picture of that after this interview. I'll just do a little flashback or something. To...
0: <laughs> I would love to see it. I mean, I actually just pulled up a photo and those headstocks. I mean, they look, you know, essentially like a Gibson, but like sharper and like more elongated a little bit. They kind of look. Oh, the, the current like, one? You the... Can, which one is it? Is it the one that, because it kind of looked, I pulled some up and it looked kind of like a Gibson, like less Paul Custom, like, but more jagged, like with a metal, like a metal feel to it. Are those, is that the one you're talking about?
1: Possibly. So, so this year, 2020, is the year that I decided to. To do all our headstocks like um, like what's on the flyweight, right? So it's a little bit yeah. less curvy. It's got a curve and then a kind of a scoop out of that curve. Whereas the old old headstock had a continual upper curve, an S curve on the top.
0: I thought specifically to the grammar ones. Is that how Oh, that oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah, because Because I pulled gotcha, up the headstocks gotcha. on the Grammar, and I was like, no, yeah, yeah for sure. I know which one, obviously, no yours, but I didn't know the Grammar one, so I pulled it up, and I'm like, oh, this looks kind of like y or something. Okay, so Yeah, yeah, it was super
1: wild. So it's one yours? Yeah, yeah, it was one with one, one okay. of mine, and yeah, I, I did not do that Grammar headstock. They're so <laughs> gigantic, too, like I, yeah. and I've worked on those guitars. They're beautiful. But yeah, like holy crap, those headstocks are they're essentially boat paddles. You know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean they look like Speed weapons,
1: metal. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speed metal boat paddles. <laughs> That's what they are. <laughs> and they're played in country music. What what yeah, a combo, yeah. you know?
0: <laughs> well, on, on the topic oh, of like still building guitars, um, Simeon out of Los Cruces, mm-hmm. he asks, What's the best BA Ferguson guitar build? So meaning the mixture of body and pickups for heavier music. He also says you're the best dude ever. Yeah, you work on oh. a jazz master.
1: Oh really? Wow, thanks, man. Yeah. Uh, wow. Okay. Um. So yeah, I guess just like
0: best build per se for like maybe just like heavier music, not like Cannibal Corpse, yeah. like death metal, but I mean just like heavier riffs. You know. Yeah. Like even even to an extent. What? Obviously, I can't get into his mind and exactly state what what he's going after um he plays a band mm-hmm. called sorry town really oh yeah yeah okay. so so um I know, yeah maybe i don't know i think heavy maybe like even some sunny day real estate like heavy you know because they have some yeah yeah heavy parts so
1: so more more toneful heavy rather than just like genting yeah I, I gotcha yeah i don't know it it depends like i like when it comes to wanting to be heavy I like a whole lot of clarity without being sterile. Uh, for example, EMG pickups are great for like, if you're playing in Mastodon or a Mastodon cover band, right? Like, and even they have more tonal textures than some other metal bands do.
2: But I enjoy it. much.
1: Yeah. But if you're going like straight, like technical, like European metal, like all you need is, Uh, Something that's purely maple and because you're not going to hear any of the wood anyway in metal. You're just going to hear a super sterile pickup that doesn't break up when you put a heavy distortion on it. But if you're going for for something with more textures, like I really enjoy more single coils and stuff, you know, and and stuff with uh, a little bit more like single coils with clarity because I like to try to get a lot of uh, feedback. You know, if you can control your feedback from some of those pickups. And the humbuckers work great too, as long as they're not too hot. So if you had like a low impedance to a modern impedance pickup, like anywhere from an 8 hertz to like a 10.5 uh, ohms. I'm sorry, eight, 8 ohms to 10.5 ohms uh, in a pickup. That's going to be excellent in your bridge position. And then have some sort of, you know, hot single coil like a, a nine ohm in your neck, uh, at least. And you're yeah, you're gonna get some really cool wiry, heavier sounds out of that. So yeah, uh, the body woods and, and neck woods and stuff don't really, you don't really hear it a lot in the pickups, um, but you'll definitely notice a different feel. And of course, I'm a big fan of using mahogany type woods in the neck and the body but i also am a huge fan of of maple in the neck um so yeah you could you could go so many directions it's at the end of the day it's it's all subjective but uh but that's what i would recommend i, I suppose
0: great recommendation yeah. um an anonymous person here asks are there any guitar maker trends that really grind your gears
1: in a good way or a bad way? <laughs>
0: uh, either one.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: I'm guessing he's probably... I'm, I'm thinking he's probably thinking like, oh, probably in a more negative fashion. But either sure, way, you know, sure. you could interpret it however you like.
1: Yeah. So probably the biggest trend that really kind of is hard to swallow sometimes. And because when I do my craft, I'm thinking about... The future I'm thinking about the environment I'm thinking about resourcefulness and and I'm trying to be resourceful I, I still don't think I'm as resourceful as I could be but I'm I'm working on you know on trying to be
0: well love is handmade and that goes in a wide variety of forms like sure, definitely yeah, exactly know that you try to be as resourceful and definitely mm-hmm. uh um, cognizant or conscious of as far as uh environment too
1: yeah so like a lot right now like I have a bunch of standing orders and it's great because that means people are going to get to play my guitars Um, that translates to maybe about 30 to 40 guitars a year for me to make on my own you know at one point in time I thought I wanted to do like 100 to 200 to 500 a year you know and at the end of the day it's like well that, that doesn't mean anything if there aren't people to actually play those guitars meanwhile there's big factories cranking them out like 200 a day, you know, and some of these guys like really pride themselves on this, like 200 a day, we're making 200 guitars a day and all this stuff. And, but you have to really stand back and look at it. It's like, wait a minute. Like I'm sure you've been to several music stores. I've been to a music store where you look at all the guitars that are on the wall and then maybe you go back after a month and the same guitars are there. You know, it almost doesn't matter the price range, you know. But it's just like, how many guitars are just sitting on walls? And that's not necessarily a good thing, you know. And so that sort of thing, like the mass production thing, does kind of get at me. Now, if there's a demand for it, then, then fine. Like, at least people are getting it into their hands. Still, I'd like to be very conscious about where everything comes from. Because I've worked on so many guitars and have seen all sides of, quality issues that there can be, plus the things that, that take advantage of, in a bad way, take ad- advantage of the environment, you know. But probably one of the things that, that kind of grinds my gears a little bit, but I understand and I kind of like at the same time, is the use of, of roasted maple. And I get why. Like, it grinds my gear because just my own personality kind of hates trends in general, you know, and, and I don't know if it has to do with my punk rock roots or whatever. I don't know. not that I have that many <laughs> punk rock roots, but you know, like any trend kind of like kind of bothers me. It's like, I still haven't seen the uh, tiger King or um, there was another one that everyone was talking about. And And it's almost like when I see stuff like that trending, I immediately go like, Nope. I'm not going to see it until it stops trending. You know, <laughs> so That's kind of how I feel about roasted maple necks. Now, the people that are using roasted maple necks are actually pretty smart about using them because they're getting a piece of wood and you're kind of forcing it to age or you're forcing it to become stable by toasting it. And, and it's really easy to do a roasted maple neck. You can literally get a maple neck blank billet and just stick it in the oven put it at 220 degrees and leave it in there for a couple of hours and you'll get a roasted maple neck. It'll lightly toast. Uh, and you, you can play with the degrees and, and get it, you know, now uh, there's people that uh, will tell you like, Oh, there's, there's people that do this professionally and they use a vacuum system that, that sucks out the moisture and all this. I mean, there's all kinds of snake oil type advertising that, surrounds roasted maple necks and all that stuff Uh, not to say that they aren't valid like they it's a really good idea what happens is when you're roasting the wood the structural integrity at the cellular level becomes really stable and predictable as opposed to when people try to manufacture guitars under the premise that like oh we're keeping our facility at such and such humidity level at all times which means that they're using greener wood and so, when you get your guitar, you better keep your house at that humidity level as well, because your guitar is going to move all over the place if you don't. Right? So, it all translates to you want stability, and yeah. So that's where roasted maple necks are good. Um, I, you know, just the trendiness of it just kind of bugs me. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, listeners... sorry about that. I could go on. <laughs> <laughs> So the listeners that have a
0: a maple neck coming in from Stumac or Wormuth, they shouldn't be putting in their oven then. Their kitchen, well, not oven. the
1: neck. No, no, no. no. I'm just not, kidding. Not, no. not the neck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the wood, the wood before it's a neck. <laughs> oh, uh, I mean, you could just be careful. You know, just be careful. But uh, my my solution to that. <laughs> My solution to that for years has been to use woods that have been sitting around for a long time. Even if if it's kiln dried, you know, I've got a bunch of pieces of maple that have been sitting around for 10 years plus sometimes. um, Or I've gotten pieces of maple or sycamore out of old pianos that's about 100 years old. So I'm going to have a similar effect. It might not be that same rich brown color that some roasted maple is going to be, but structurally... And tonally it's gonna be right there. It's gonna have more of a worn in feel. But yeah, definitely don't don't stick your necks in the oven. Don't don't do that. It's not good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so um last random one here. Faroak asks, hey. would you rather build a guitar for Wes Borland of Limb Biscuit or for Aaron Lewis of stained?
1: Oh man. <laughs> Thanks, Farok. Thank you, man. <laughs> Oh man, oh! I love Farouk, man. He's such a good dude, and uh, yeah, I, I met him when we were kids, uh, way back in the day. We were both teenagers, and um, you know, it turns out we've got the same birthday, so that's that's uh, that's always been cool. Uh, <laughs> but man, I stained or limp biscuit? Jeez, I don't know, man. Um, that's, that's a hard, a tough one. one. That's a really tough one. <laughs> that's almost like asking, uh, uh, would you rather... Uh, well, I was going to say, would you rather build a guitar for a Nickelback or Disturbed? And even in that, I would probably say, well, i probably build a guitar for Disturbed over Nickelback. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's a tough one. I'm going to have to go with... Uh, let's see here. Limp biscuit or uh stained I would have to go if I had to <laughs> uh, and I don't want to offend anyone you know everyone's got their tastes and flavors and all that stuff and and mine aren't better than anyone else's so I you know whatever but uh, <laughs> I would probably have to say limp biscuit only because when I was younger, I did like their first album. I remember my, my buddy, Mike Belusick and I sitting in this blue eighties Chevy truck and listening to that first like Limp Biscuit record and going like, Holy crap, what is this? This is pretty amazing. <laughs> and then they went to MTV. Right. And, and that was a little bit disappointing. Uh, but that's, uh, if I had to, that's, that's probably where I'd, yeah, where I'd leave my answer. I, <laughs> uh, that's so, tough, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now that was a good one and it's always great to hear some familiar names oh, yeah. like Mike Belusic and uh, yeah. obviously Fark good good friends <laughs> back to business here, B.A. Ferguson. I'm guessing mm-hmm. the name stands for your name, Boot Ariola Ferguson, is That's that right. correct? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Ferguson. Is that um, um, second? Um, I forgot, I can't believe I forgot the proper terminology of the name. Is that like your oh, second yeah. uh, last name?
1: No, no, no. Uh, I have no uh, Scottish origin in my blood whatsoever <laughs> at all. Uh, <laughs> Part of that came from a a number of things. Um, It came from my own insecurity with my own name. Uh, Originally, it was just Ferguson guitars. And and I remember I had this conversation with Barry while I was apprenticing with him. You know, I I was telling him, you know, that I wanted to make my own guitars. and, And I was already working on a couple of, like, parts caster builds at the time. And I remember... Saying, like, I've got to come up with a name. I, I don't want to see my name on a guitar because it's so hard to pronounce. Uh, deep down, what I was really saying was I was really kind of ashamed of my name. And part of that stemmed from my dad. I the love other your part... name. Yeah. <laughs> the other part stemmed from... Well, thank you, man. <laughs> the other part stemmed from that sort of feeling growing up that, like, you know, no one's going to buy this if it has a... Mexican or Spanish sounding name right like no one's gonna look at that and go like oh that's a quality instrument areola like and it wasn't until I moved to South Carolina that like people started asking me also like oh is that like the anatomy areola I'm like no 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 mine has two r's (laughs) the anatomy version has one r get let's get it straight right (laughs) and so uh that was part of it um so and it's kind of like the story of BC Rich. I don't know if you know. Um, I don't. But yeah, so B- BC Rich, his name is actually um, something like Benito Carlos Ricardo or something. Wow, like I have no idea. Yeah, and so he changed it to BC Rich to sound more, uh, I guess, uh, quote unquote, traditional American. And so that was the root of it. Now on the surface level, you know, I'm talking to Barry and he has no idea that I even feel that way. I'm just saying like, "Uh, you know, I want to come up with something that sounds good. And I had come up with Ferguson at the time because I, I didn't find any other guitar named Ferguson. I'm sure there was some, but I said Ferguson and he goes, yeah, you know what? That sounds like something that's been around for a while. You know, it's like, yeah, that does sound like that, doesn't it? And so I, I went with it, and then eventually, when I came to terms with my name, I had already made a couple of guitars with the Ferguson name on there, that are handwritten on there. So if you if you have one that says Ferguson and it's handwritten, it's you know one of the very earliest ones. There's only oh, like four or five of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I came to terms with my name. You know, really kind of decided to sort of reclaim it. You know, for my own family, uh, do my own research. Um, my last name Ariola comes from the Basque region of Spain. And the Basque are are sort of their own people, and it means big rock or large stone. And uh, the reason for that is that the Areola family showed up to the Basque region of Spain way before the Spaniards ever showed up. They got this piece of land under false pretenses. they, They got this land that someone told them was good, but it was really rocky. So what they did is they made lemonade out of lemons, right? They took the stones out of the ground and farmed it and became really prosperous farmers and then during the spanish inquisition went to mexico and then you know here i am you know and so that's where Ariola comes from and so once i started sort of researching the history and, and becoming more connected with my ancestry and all that stuff and, and taking more pride in it then i was like you know what like it needs to be in the name no matter what like some way somehow and so that's why i put ba you know boot is my my nickname that i've had since i was 12 or 13 so it's ba ferguson but when you see it written out it's actually ra ferguson cuz my real first name is ramon so but the r is made to look a little bit like a b and so that was my own kind of intricate way of making sure that my name was was always in there so
0: i love that history thanks <laughs> you should do an ad with a kilt and a bagpipe
1: right (laughs) uh, yeah i don't know i don't know about that (laughs) i apologize also to any fergusons that might take uh uh, offense to that but i really love your last name if it helps any so (laughs) because it means man of fire and uh i did research on that as well and it turns out that actually uh scottish and Basques are are somewhat closely related and i found that out through actual scottish people which is kind of funny it was really random, but
0: uh, but yeah. And it rolls off the tongue really well. So I really love yeah, it. I mean, it does. for me, it was either going to be BA for Boot Areola or that BA stood for Badass. Yeah. Pretty interchangeable there. So the listeners can, can take either one. Yeah, I mean, yeah exactly. You, you said your nickname was Boot, which I know. And yet your legal name is Ramon, which I knew as well. Mm-hmm. But um, how did you get Boot? Were you booting kids off the block? Or
1: how, what was happening? <laughs> that's yeah yeah no it was actually a really really simple I was like at 12 or 13 I had gone on this uh this little camp retreat up in Ridoso with a bunch of youth from my church and uh at the time because I I uh when I was younger I was over at Jesus Chapel on the west side of town and I ended up playing there a lot and, and all that and so You know, of course, at that time, I was dealing with my own identity crisis and all that stuff, as most teenagers do. And uh, we were at this camp, and uh, there's this guy, Toby Placencio, who happens to be the brother of J.J. Placencio, who happens to be be the bass player from Sixpence and then The Richer. You know, he's from El Paso. Hmm. And so his brother was at this retreat, and he was really good at hacky sack. Like, I mean, really good. He could do... (laughs) These amazing like Guinness tricks, World Record, is you know? good. Yeah, like he should have been like, and and we're talking, you know, this is this is the height of the '90s, right? Like the mid '90s is Hacky Sack and Nirvana and stuff.
0: How many kicks can you get in right now?
1: You think? Oh, on a probably hacky sack? maybe if I do my best, maybe I can do two. <laughs> <laughs> I can serve it up nice, but I'll probably only be able to do two. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> but, yeah, so, like, he, oh, man, he was so good. So two of my friends, my, my buddy Matt and Oscar, you know, and I was hanging out with them, and they're like, hey, let's let's play hacky sack with these guys. They're doing a hack circle, and let, let's participate, you know. Well, in preparation for this camp, you know, my, my wonderful Mexican mother that she is, you know, a good Mexican mother prepares for the worst at all times, you know, and, and at the same time they're resourceful, so <laughs> – what did my mom do? She got me these steel toe work boots that were two sizes too big uh, <laughs> because she thought we were going to be out in the wilderness, you know, just surviving like Bear grill style, right? <laughs> out in the woods. <laughs> and, you know, of course I need to grow into these things. So here I am, this, this lanky Mexican kid with these gigantic work boots. And it just looked really funny when I was trying to hit the hacky sack. Like in my normal shoes, I could hit it okay back then. But these boots were just too much. And I could, you know, you could see the momentum <laughs> that it took on my body to try to get these things up in the air. So my buddy Matt started calling me boot from then on. He was just like, dude, I'm going to call you boot. It's so funny to watch you try to play hacky sack with those <laughs> damn things, you know. And uh, and sure enough, I hated it for about the first week. I, I was just like, man, whoa. I don't understand. And, and then it really grew on me. And uh, yeah, so that's how I got it. That's the long, long story, I guess.
0: <laughs> no, that's a great story. And even kind of going back specifically to B.A. Ferguson, you owned your own shop in Hartsville, South Carolina called Frets mm-hmm. and Necks, which, you know, we have already kind of touched on, but highs and lows. But, you know, overall, what was that like being a small business owner? I'm sure it was stressful and I'm sure there was a, lots of high points as well.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's there's so much to it. I mean, I went into it not really knowing what I was doing. Right. Like the advice I had from Barry was, hey, you know, keep your overhead low and just be honest, uh, do good work, keep practicing at it, all this stuff, you know, and and it was good advice. But at the end of the day, I, I didn't know anything about business. I didn't grow up in any sort of business environment like that, other than watching my Uncle Rudy of rudy's breaks and alignments over here downtown like and i would see how he did business and as well as how barry did business and all that stuff and and so like that's as much as i knew right i didn't know firsthand experience yeah but that was about it so it was tough like you know of course the money part you know is tough because every once in a while you would get a customer that thinks you know because i'm a small business owner oh you've got it made you know so so i'm gonna try to (sighs) try to hit you for whatever I can try to get a discount and all this stuff. And, and at the end of the day, Doesn't it's like, like, no, that. this is, yeah, no, not at all. At the end of the day, it's like, no, this is me choosing to be my own boss, which means that I have an extremely unpredictable income in order to try to do what I love. And and it's still that way now. Like I was doing Uber for a while now and I'm solely building guitars full time, but like, yeah, so that was hard. But the growth part is probably the part that's the hardest because the more it grows, the more responsibility you have, and the harder that becomes. And so at the end of it, before I left South Carolina, right as I left, I had four guys under me, all who were very well invested with their time in the business as well. You know, I I, you know, I wanted to set it up that way to where they were also sort of invested into the growth of the thing and but I had four guys under me at the end of the day, I still had four guys I was responsible for. And that was really hard because at the end of the day, I was juggling more the business side of things and hardly got to touch a guitar. You know, I was doing social media, all the business stuff, making sure the bills were paid, making sure the taxes were paid, making sure that, that whatever, uh, business license we had to have was on time. And, and usually it was not. And so at the end of the day, it's just like, you're, you're, robbing Peter to pay Paul, right? As the saying goes, like you're, you're just kind of like balancing deficits, you know? And, and I learned that from other business owners at the time too, who were super gracious and s- sort of teaching me like, uh, like Steve Avant, uh, who was, you know, one of the sole reasons that like Hartsville as a town is a different place because he, he sort of put into the town with business and all that stuff. So I learned a lot from him, but the crazy side of that is like, as a small business owner, you'll see, it's kind of like when you work at Walmart in some of your first jobs, right? Like I remember working at Walmart and, and uh, seeing like the worst in people sometimes. you see It's unfortunate you
0: see it in those settings, those, even those retail yeah. settings.
1: Yeah. And, and every once in a while you do see the good, but it's harder to find the good sometimes. And it's the same thing as a small business owner. Sometimes a little exponential because you're the owner then when people come at you which, you know, if you're doing your job well, like it's not going to happen that often. But when it does happen, it's going to be hard, you know. And the best you can do is to just work with what you've got and be honest and, and, you know, and that's what what you can do. But, yeah, you'll see some ugly sides to people. And then in our darkest times, I saw some of the best in people, like people that just came out of the woodwork to come help and to just to That's a beautiful us, thing. You know? Yeah, yeah.
0: It's kind of funny how in those darkest times, I'll say, oh, people show their true colors, but some of those times are the most enlightening for sure. Yeah, you know,
1: they really are. And I yeah. mean,
0: even with your shop, you're kind of running the full gamut because you're doing lessons, retail, you know, mm-hmm. manufacturing, repairs, restorations. So I yeah. mean, you're attacking it at every angle. And from what I understand right now, you're mainly focusing on building guitars. So like exactly. you had kind of mentioned earlier, still obviously a a small business owner in a sense, but not one where people are like walking in and demanding that, you you know, twist trust rod or whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, because it demanded so much time of me, even after I, I fully trained my guys out there, you know, and I would tell them like, look, I don't care how much someone wants to talk to me right now. Like there's special exceptions, obviously, but like, I can't get work done when everyone wants to see me every day, like you guys take care of it. I trust you guys. I'm confident in you. And I still, you know, they, they run the business now over there under a different name. Um, but even today I'm like super confident in those guys. They know what they're doing, but me being there, like kind of fostered this, like, well, you know, people would come in and go straight to Scott, who is my second in command, you know, and, and we'd just be like, no, I, I need to see boot. And, He'd be like, "Well, what can I help you with?" You know, and they're like, oh, you know, I I don't want to talk to you about it." You know, even though he had been there for almost half a decade or more at the time.
0: You know? And you're gonna give him the same response.
1: <laughs> exactly. You know, he knows what to answer. I, you know, it's just so that was that was frustrating. Um, so now it's an environment where if someone wants to talk to me, they totally can, and it's not gonna. Because I don't have my hands in so many different things, like I'm I'm only doing the one thing. So, yeah, now I can talk to people and even chat with them while I'm working, and it's no big deal. Um, we also did pro audio back. <laughs> I was running sound oh, at different man. events and stuff. Yeah, like it, it was. It was insane. And I was the one running sound. Like, I would go and, you know, sometimes Scott would come help me or whatever. But, like, yeah, I would rent some equipment from my buddy Doug and, like, show up at an event, set up speakers, the whole gamut. And, uh, yeah. And playing so,
0: hacky sack at the same time, too. Right? At
1: the same time. <laughs> but, yep. I
0: mean, now you're in Chaparral, New Mexico. That's right. Right yeah. outside El Paso, Texas, right? That's you know, right. where you, you grew up. And how does it feel to be back? I know that. You even lived in a converted bus with your family on the way back. Is that right? I mean, I don't know all the specifics, but I'm guessing your family loves the outdoors. And I mean, Mm -hmm. I know that you live out in a big piece of land and, you know, the workshop and everything you usually post is I'm just like, oh man, I love, you know, the scenery in the desert because I mean, I'm very familiar with it myself, but definitely kind of different than where you're at, where you, where you were at in, in Hartsville.
1: Definitely, yeah. Oh, it's, it's so different. Yeah, so we we up until this summer we lived in the bus still. Granted, we were parked right next to like a little studio apartment building, just this one little building that had a living room and a kitchen and a and a full bathroom. Before that we were living in Canotillo on my friend Donnie's property and we we're super gracious that, that we could land over there, you know, because when You know, when we were coming, it was just like, well, you know, so hard to try to line up a job and line up a place to live without being here or without spending a ton of money traveling so that you can. So we're like, well, you know, we, we only have, you know, I mean, we didn't have anything, but the literal reason we were able to even get over here is because I wound up selling an 1843 Martin to George Groon. <laughs> this, this guitar came into my shop just in the nick of time. I bought it off of another repair guy who specialized in horns. He had this guitar and he was going to throw it away.
0: Oh, um, man. And,
1: yeah, and he was just like, I you know, I don't know what to do with it. I'm sure you can do something with it. Uh, by chance, I happened to be in Nashville for the NAMM show at Groon's shop and I'm showing them pictures because I just want to get a date on the thing. And immediately he sees the pictures and he's like, I've been looking for this guitar. How much do you want for it? And so untouched, I didn't even get the chance to touch it. I just sold it immediately to them. And that's how we funded the trip here. Yeah. So, so then my buddy Donnie let us land at his place for a few months to just try to get on our feet. And then we came out here to Chaparral and it's uh it's an intentional community is what it is uh, by the name of desert rain. And so it's just, uh, people out here. There's not many people out here and it's not like, I always, I always have to preface like, (laughs) and of course everyone's going to say, no, you have to say it. So it is, but it's, (laughs) it's not a cult. (laughs) It's not a cult. (laughs) I promise. (laughs) But, but it's just a group of people that got together years ago. Uh, They used to be, uh, some of them used to be in the church and they sort of got disenfranchised and they were like, you know what, like, I'm just going to go live out in the desert and just be in silence and try to be comfortable in the in the knowledge that I don't know as much as I thought I did. And
0: it's perfect for building guitars out there.
1: Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. And anyone of any religion or non-religion or any orientation or whatever is welcome out here, you know? And, uh, and it's, it's been such a good and healing place for my wife and I, to be at because it's a place where you can you can have the hard conversations and not and not feel like you're gonna offend anyone
0: you're being outed or yeah outcast or something
1: yeah or even be like indoctrinated and be like no 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 this is the answer we're supposed to give you know it's like no no let's let's have a discussion about this stuff because it, it serves us right to do that and so my buddy jacob this is where he he builds monk drums I don't know if you've heard of Monk drums, but... Uh, Boutique uh, start. drum kits? No, they're actually sort of... Um, uh, I feel like I've heard the name, but I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, it's more like ethnic percussion. It's a big box drum that has a wooden drum head on it, and it's got this baffle, and so it's got this amazing bass projection to it. And uh, Are and they the ones Jacob, that you sit on? They look like that, but these you're not actually supposed to sit on.
0: Like the cajons? Is that what I'm thinking? Kind of. Like yeah,
1: it's, it's like a cajon that you play on the top. And it has more of a the range of a djembe. Like you can have high okay. notes and you can have like deep, deep projected bass and super cool stuff. Eric Bozeman over at Star City Studios, you know, plays them and has them in his recordings over there. And so, you know, through Donnie I, I got connected with these guys and um and yes, yeah, so they're a community of, of people that are here to just kinda search for their own health without imposing on anyone else and uh And so we came out here. We're like, yeah, I think this is where we would like to be. And uh, Jacob graciously offered uh, to share his shop space with me. And the guitars uh, even
0: have way more of a story now, too, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. I had no idea about all of it. Obviously, we're living through a pandemic and this Mm -hmm. wouldn't be possible just yet. But you obviously used to offer classes to build guitar like workshops. Yeah. Is that something you'd like to do again? You know, once the pandemic's yeah. like over?
1: Yeah, yeah, I would like to, yeah. And and I had started the conversation about that probably in December. And then the pandemic hit, and so I was like, "Yeah, no, that's gonna, that's not going to be possible." But I'd like to do something on a more personal level, you know. If someone wanted to come out and, and stay out here for a couple of weeks, and you know, maybe build their own telecaster or or, or something fun, you know, it's that's super yeah. cool, you know. That's something yeah. like
0: I'm I'm ready to request some PTO. You know, I'm gonna go visit. Yeah. It.
1: <laughs> Heck yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, that's that's in the future, I hope still. And of course, it just depends on my current workload and all that stuff, because I don't want to do what I did when I was in South Carolina. I don't want to spread myself so thin that, you know, I don't get to experience my family burnout. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, even talking about, you know, working in the shop, what are three? workshop tools that could benefit the everyday to serious guitarists. Maybe I shouldn't say like workshop because I don't mean like table saws or routers or anything, but, Mm -hmm. or maybe even more than an Allen wrench, maybe like Mm -hmm. a soldering iron or what, what are some tools? Like it doesn't have to be three, but that you'd say like, Hey, these are really essential.
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, before going into the essential like tools, I would say that there are some foundational truths that one should know about guitar before venturing into their own guitar teching. You're right.
0: <laughs> I'm salivating already. Tell me. What right.
1: You're- and so one of, these, one of these foundations is making sure that you really understand the functions of what everything on your guitar does. For example, the truss rod. I had, I don't know how many people I had come to me that would say like, you know, my neck is warped. Can you adjust my truss rod for me? Number one thing to realize about the truss rod is a truss rod is not a fix for a warped neck. A warped neck means that the wood has moved in such a way that it's moved there permanently.
0: It endured weather elements that have completely, you know, screwed up the, Mm -hmm. I don't know, the proper term, the cellular...
1: Yes, yeah, whatever structure. that wood is. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's a permanent thing. The wood is basically doing what it's wanted to do this whole time because maybe for a number of factors. Maybe it wasn't fully cured when it was dried at the kiln, or maybe you went from an extreme humid place to an extremely dry place, which happens to probably about 95% of the guitars that enter El Paso in general. So a truss rod is meant. To calibrate, not necessarily to fix a guitar, it's meant to calibrate the tension of the neck against the tension of the strings in whatever environment you're in. So like, if anyone knows anything about that stuff on the bass level, it's that you're going to have to adjust your truss rod whenever the seasons change. So when when winter comes, the moisture content in the environment changes, and your neck is going to move just a little bit, and so you're going to adjust that truss rod accordingly to counteract those movements to get it back to where you want the strings, right? Then when it heats up, it's going to do the same thing. So you might have to take it back the other way, but it's not meant for a fix. A fix requires a refret. uh, Sometimes heat applied to the neck to get it back, you know, if there's a twist in it. So there's that. So definitely an Allen wrench or whatever you need for that truss rod adjustment. But first realize, like... (laughs) Yeah. It's a maintenance thing, not a, not a repair thing. And then, you know, it's good to have a string winder on hand. Uh, even makes things even easier. Those, <laughs> yeah. Even one of those that like attaches to a drill, uh, that makes it so much easier. Of course, a set of, wow, of wire nippers. That. Yeah. Oh man. it saves you so much time. Um, wire nippers, obviously, you know, so you can clip your string ends off. Um, a soldering iron would be good if you have any level of, soldering experience i've known too many people that just they go to solder stuff in their guitar and they muck and it they're all just up botching yeah.
0: their electronics
1: oh yeah yeah and it's they, they don't have the fundamental understanding of how a hot and ground work and all that yeah, stuff so, the tip or whatever mm-hmm. so i would definitely say like yeah understand your fundamentals first and then get your tools based on how far you're willing to go in messing with your stuff, you know? So, and some people are way more technical with it than others. You know, there's some people that would bring me a guitar and they'd be like, they'd be like, yeah, I did my setup myself. And, and, you know, they'd be pretty close, you know? And and so they, they would come to me for more major stuff, you know, but more often than not, it was people trying to learn and they would botch it and then they would bring it to me which that's when any repair guy is going to charge a an oops tax right (laughs) it's like oops that's an extra 20 bucks because i have to undo what you did or more you know
0: (laughs) i like that term oh Um, yeah have you ever had a workshop injury oh man
1: let me me count the ways (laughs) do you have all your fingers yes, I still do i have I have all my digits. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, I think the most the one that's off the top of my head that I can think of that I had uh, was I was trying to repair a planer, and a planer has these blades on the inside, you know it's supposed to shave down wood to certain thicknesses and my original planer I had gotten rid of, and so I had this other used one that I was trying to fix and can't remember what I did, but I I ended up slipping with the Allen wrench and it slipped out of my hand. Everything was really oh, oily, yeah. And I jammed my hand into the blade, and so Oof. like, yeah. So I had this big old like it was about an inch gash in the side of my hand that I had to glue up, you know. And so it was pretty bad, but uh, that's the one I can think of now. I've drilled into my, my finger when I was younger and drilled into my finger with a Dremel. Oof. That was not very pleasant, yeah. But yeah, you live and learn, you know. And <laughs> there's a reason they tell you wear a mask and, and, uh, and goggles and, and things like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, especially things flying back at your face. I mm-hmm. mean, just uh, scary to think. It's something that most people, like, you know, I'll use a miter saw or use whatever saws around that I feel comfortable with. But even Mm -hmm. then I might take things for granted if I'm not using the proper protection. It's not until something goes wrong that it's better to be proactive, I'd say than reactive.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Part of it is, you know, it comes with the practice and and knowing what you're doing and and with guitar making, there's a balance that you have to find for yourself because I could go around wearing gloves all day, but my work is so dependent on how everything feels that I can't use gloves, and so the main thing for me right now, especially like you know, now I know how to hold things the right way so that things aren't shooting in my direction towards my eyes and, and things like that. But protecting your ears is such a huge thing. That, oh
0: man, even yeah. even as a musician, that was something I <clears throat> yeah. I took for granted having my my ears next to a to a ride cymbal or a crash cymbal or you mm-hmm. know cranking those like ear piercing fender twins then for like i still yeah. have my hearing but sometimes my partner uh, my fiance jazz like you can't hear that i'm like no like i could <laughs> i could decipher things like maybe if i'm listening to something in a mix but mm-hmm. actual volume levels she's like oh you you can't hear that ambulance like nope you know like <laughs> like i can't hear certain frequencies at like certain volumes you know yeah so it's something i really think like wow i not protecting my ears was not punk rock, you know? Yeah,
1: exactly. No matter how much punk rock it seemed like, yeah, it, it, it's it's not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and even now, yeah, I have, I have lots of issues with it.
0: What's the most common repair you've done? I'm going to put my money on that it's a headstock break outside of, you know, normal maintenance or
1: sure, typical yeah. repairs.
0: Is that what it would typically be?
1: Um, I would say it would be neck and neck, no pun intended, but probably totally intended, uh, <laughs> neck and neck with uh, refrets. So refrets and and uh, headstock repairs is is probably what I did the most. And then there were a, a lot of other more complex restoration jobs, but uh, yeah, headstocks and and uh, refrets.
0: And one thing, you know, pertaining to your repairs and overall just like your operations, I just want to say I love the Insta Live videos that you post. Oh, thanks. Just <laughs> keep them going. You know, I could just be like eating some chips or, you know, maybe crack <laughs> open a beer or something and I'll just be right. like, okay. I love this. This is my that's television awesome. here.
1: Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, that that's uh you know, I started doing that whenever Periscope came out, and I thought Periscope was such a brilliant idea. And even though it was not necessarily a new idea, that Periscope just made it work. Because I, I used to try to do, uh, there was a platform called Ustream, I think it was. So if you look up on YouTube, you'll see some old, old footage of way back in the day, and you might even catch me like, I mean, it's like several hours long, but you might even catch me in one where I actually messed up the finish on a guitar that I was sending to Australia. <laughs> um and i had to redo it it was crazy but periscope just made it work so easily and then of course you know instagram copied it and now everyone's on instagram live but yeah it just you know for me i'm such a curious person uh when it comes to how people do things that it's not enough it's almost not enough for me to watch uh like the what are those uh, discovery channel uh how it's made that 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 show oh, i love how those it's made. shows yeah, I love that. At the same time, it's like I'm watching that and I'm like I know there's there's steps that they're not talking about and I want to know <laughs> about those steps because it's just so intricate, everything's so intricate and and some people are just some things are just so second nature that you forget to explain. So, but I thought, you know, it's just such a good idea to show the human side of what I'm doing through those live streams even if I mess up, even if there's a chance that I mess up then at least people see like, oh, this is just a dude. Like this isn't some, because I think there's such a problem of uh, sort of like idolatry when it comes to makers, when it comes to like, I've seen it happen so many times where people sort of dehumanize the maker. Right. And so yeah. the worst is when, you know, I know they're being nice and they're, they're trying to give me props and stuff. But when people call me a company, that probably rubs me the wrong way the most because it's like, no, 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 it's not a company. Although at one point in time, there was a company of us making this, you know, and, and, uh, that's a whole other thing I can go into, but like I would put, you know, in the old serial numbers, like it has who worked on what, you know, like on every guitar in the older, I love that. Yeah. But for people to know, like, you know, no, I'm just one guy. I've got a wife and kids sometimes my wife helps me every once in a while my buddy John or Stephen might come over and help me on some stuff or sometimes Jacob jumps in and helps me sand on something just because he'll have some extra time or whatever but like I want people to see like that it's not just some million dollar operation with a bunch of you know assembly lines going all at once yeah you know? it's not like, some
0: sort of automation. You know, just being passed from one yeah. machine to another. It's actual hands, it's sweat and tears. Yeah, like Somebody's exactly. going through actually making it.
1: Yeah, and, and not to put down the automated stuff either. Like, there's a beauty in that as well. But when it comes down to how people respond to what I do, I want them to know, like, this is coming from my heart and my hands. You know, and, and I hope that one day I can have more than a few people working with me and all that stuff and... But right now, I'm not going to push for it. And at that same time, if, if that ever did happen, I want, it, I want it to be something that comes from them as well, you know. And so I'm, I might document that as well, you know. <laughs> like, So I don't know. Yeah.
0: Well, coming from a small business owner, what do you know now that you wish you had known when you first started?
1: Gosh, that's a tough one. Uh, there's so many things. Um Probably the biggest What would you one. tell a younger boot? What would I tell a younger boot? Um, I would probably tell him, and you know the thing is that I would tell younger boot this and he wouldn't listen anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> until it's, until it, you know, until it's it all late. hits the fan, yeah. But <laughs> uh, it would be like, don't spread yourself thin. At one point in time I was playing in a band and and trying to do a recording studio, and trying to do repairs. And that was enough to make me go, you know what, I need to pick between one of these three. I just need to pick. And then later that evolved, and then I was doing repairs, retail, lessons, all, all the stuff. Part of that came out of a fear, or, or rather a want to be resourceful in the times where there wasn't very much money coming in, like in the summers, usually for any music store, like that's the time where everyone's traveling no one wants to buy a guitar no one wants to do repairs unless they're a working musician so you're not going to see that much money coming in during the summer months so what do you do well let's do some summer camps let's do some lessons you know and so you try to adapt and everything like that but at the same time there's got to be a balance there so you know I don't know that I would have learned that had I not gone through it so that's part of why I say like yeah you know younger boot wouldn't listen anyway so just let him learn the hard way. Cause that's the only way he learns. sometimes.
0: <laughs> that's great advice. And yeah. you're obviously a very talented woodworker. I know you're the co-owner of Feather and Mountain with your wife, where you sell textiles, leather goods and other wood pieces, and it yeah. all looks beautiful. And, you know, related to woodworking besides guitar, are there any other like larger wooden
1: projects you'd like to work on? Um, probably, probably not. I don't know. I, you know, I ask myself that from time to time. Now, I will say, like, you're very generous in calling me the co-owner of, of Feather and Mountain. I, I will totally give props completely to my wife on that. That's, that's all her. Every once in a while, she asks me to do something, and I'm happy to oblige. Uh, but as far as all the creativity and, and all that stuff, like, that's they're beautiful. That's all you know, her. I've seen yeah, the products yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. and uh, definitely make for some good gifts. You know, yeah. They totally hopefully my do. fiance doesn't listen to this podcast.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you do, <laughs> do whatever you want. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, just, just go ahead. It's, and
0: it's, as, <laughs> it's as a surprise. So hopefully, yeah, right. Because yeah, I'm like yeah. I'm like oh she would totally love all this. So yeah, yeah I mean it, it's awesome. Like the love is handmade slogan. I mean honestly goes beyond everything. I, I, oh, I yeah, think in yeah. a lot of ways, obviously in the guitar making, but in your wife's business, and I think in a lot of the ways that you carry yourself and you are with your family. I mean, it's a, definitely a a more intimate process and in as far as more being interconnected with who you're interacting with or like mm-hmm. what you're actually doing.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and I, I would say probably the thing that we missed the most about the South in doing that is that like the culture when it comes to like artisan markets and things like that is so much different than it is here in el paso in the southwest region and part of it's the culture part of it's just the way people do markets but over here it's like if you don't know somebody you know you're on your own and you know we better not talk because you might be my competition and you know it's very kind of there's a little bit of a standoffishness to it you know uh where it's over in the South and even in the North or more Northern parts, like everyone's willing to talk to you. Everyone's willing to share, to try to make it easier for each other, because there's a huge understanding that it's, it's not you against me. It's us versus them, you know, kind of thing more than anything. And
0: I think it's kind of, cause me, my fiance definitely has partaken in those markets. I think it's that kind of the fear of that first mover advantage, but in reality, mm-hmm. you just kind of have to, you know, just let the work speak for itself.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, but yeah, no, I absolutely love, love everything my, my wife's been doing and, and she's gotten into this leather stuff. And I think the only struggle I, I sometimes have with it is that, you know, sometimes she, she'll she spy a nice piece of wood that I have hanging up in the rafters, you know, and she looks at <laughs> it and goes, you know, that'd make a great coffee table. And I'm like, oh. I know, but it would also make a great guitar one day. <laughs> and so there's always this the struggle. As long as she's not
0: roasting any maple.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, but you know, in the end it's, you know, I want to make her happy with that anyway as well, so I'm like, yeah, you know what? Like I'm trying to find a middle ground and uh yeah, so we'll just keep doing what we're doing, you know. <laughs>
0: And you're doing a great job at it. And before we wrap Thanks. everything up, all ears are on you. What should sure. the fans of BA Ferguson be expecting for the rest of the year? Any new designs? I know that you kind of spoke about even online on Insta. Sure. You have a new one uh, coming out. You've talked about as far as, uh, you know, the Shirley based design, but mm-hmm. um,
1: anything that you have up your sleeves. Sure. Um, let's see here. It, do we have time for me to ask you a couple of questions?
0: Oh, I would love okay. that. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: okay. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll ask him after oh, man. this. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so, but I'll answer, I'll answer this one first. Uh, so new things, uh, <laughs> down the pipeline. Let's see here. So there's the Ranger, obviously that's been the newest, uh, you know, the whole flyweight concept was something that was developed between, between Nick Greer and I, uh, Nick Greer is easily my best friend in the industry. And, um, we talk just about every week, you know, whether it's FaceTime or on the phone or whatever. And it's always just sharing ideas. It's not like we're just constantly scheming, right? Like it's, it's not like that, but it's just like, we'll talk about ideas. Sometimes I'll have an issue and I'll be like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm having a roadblock. And then he's like, oh, well, you just do this. And I'm like, why didn't I think of that? So things like that. But, you know, we also get on, on a very personal level when we talk. And so he's one of the first people that I reached out to when it came to like moving down here and and all that stuff like he's just been such a good friend and and so that flyweight concept came out of just conversations and great part like him nudging me saying like hey here's a bread and butter idea you could be doing try this concept out and for about a year I was like ah I don't know and then after a year I did it and it became successful and he was like I told you (laughs) you know so now I'm kind of expanding on that. And so the Ranger was a concept that came again out of some of these conversations, kind of borrowing from the the Australian Madden, uh guitars. Uh, oh, man, the 60s. those are beautiful. I mean, honestly, yeah.
0: when I saw that Ranger design, it kind of reminded me of like, again, the guitar that you just mentioned, the Madden guitars, and even kind of like a Gibson Marauder. Um, oh, yeah, yeah in general i mean obviously the marauder has kind of like the completed like horn similar to like les paul or whatever whereas Mm -hmm. there's that kind of like a cutout on the on the ranger but yeah it's it's like a really neat beefy design in the best best way possible like in a really great way like it looks very it just looks super unique i love it i love how different it looks yeah in such a cool
1: way thanks man i appreciate that yeah And, and and you'll see on there that there's the I saw that Matten was trying to go for these points and curves as well. And, and so I, I did the same thing, you know. And So now that there's the Ranger, there's going to be a standard version and also a deluxe version. And the one that I'm making for Nick is a deluxe version. It's going to be a thin line, semi-hollow, all this amazing stuff that, you know, we've talked about. So he's easily probably the person who owns the second most person that owns the most... BA Ferguson's first being my buddy, Jeff Marshall up in Washington state. And uh, anyway, so yeah, <laughs> it's always fun to make a a guitar because it's always born out of some just crazy talk and ideas. And anyway, so there's the Ranger expanding on that. Of course there's the bass, and, uh, which is
0: super exciting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And my buddy Ben Walker is getting, uh, most likely the first one, uh, with hopefully Brad Wood getting a, the second one. But, um, and then uh, there's the bass stuff. There's some semi-hollow stuff that I've been wanting to work on for years now with a carved top. Uh, and there's mandolins. I'm bringing back mandolins. That's the first thing I started on. And uh, back super- to the roots. Mm-hmm. And a lower-priced uh, acoustic as well. I've been working on, you know, so they're they're not all deluxe at three grand. You know, I'm, I'm I want to work down towards like. You know, it would be kind st- of like a
0: flyweight level, like acoustic. I'm obviously not trying to pinpoint to oh, no, no, extra, no, not price all. Points, but, but but
1: you're you're in the right direction, yeah. Like so, so this one's going to be the standard model, uh, and then I'm going to do a flyweight model. Uh, so the standard, um, basically, I'm just trying to learn from that experience in order to prepare myself for doing the flyweight version of that and see if it's even possible. I think it is. Uh, acoustics are a lot more difficult and more time consuming, but I think it's definitely possible. Um, and then there's a couple of, well, there, there's, uh, just a long-standing project with a friend that I've been trying to work out. It's kind of changed recently. So not, not quite sure in what direction it's headed, but you know, we'll, we'll sort of see. I, I, have got to keep that, uh, a little bit under wraps for, for various reasons, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like all, all sounds that, super like, exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with all that. but That's all I can think of for now, I think.
0: <laughs> well, I'm obviously going to be glued to whatever videos that you have. I'm, you know, just in my boxers and whatever band shirt, <laughs> eating some chips. And I'm just, you know, that's my that's my TV right there. You know, we're going to awesome. have a B.A. Ferguson, <laughs> BA Ferguson uh, channel for sure. But no, I mean, this has been great. And uh, awesome. yeah, I'm ready for whatever questions you may have.
1: Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to provide, uh, whatever entertainment, you know? (laughs) 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 And in fact, you might, you might catch me in boxers with a beer at some point in time too, but there's no promises. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Uh, well, all right. Well, here's, here's some of my, my questions. All right. So, all right. Question one, what is your favorite scene on back to the future?
0: So that's funny. Somebody actually reached out to me recently because we were talking about the USPS. And I know I'm getting off track here, but um, we we're obviously talking about how essential it is mm-hmm. to oh, yeah. many, many levels of our lives, whether people mm-hmm. think it is, whether it's directly or indirectly. And we started talking about the second one, but I'm not going to lie. I haven't seen, you know, one of the Back to the Future movies in over like. Fourteen years or something like that. Oh so, man! So, so oh. it's been a while. I mean, you can ask me for maybe another scene for another movie, but um, sure, I sure, wouldn't yeah. be able to say which one is. Um, oh, one man. of my friends, Ross Ingram, mm-hmm. does Brainville. Uh, he loves Back to the Future, so he would have been the best oh, person that's to awesome. ask that.
1: <laughs> that's awesome! Yeah. Oh man, I encourage you go go back and watch the entire trilogy. I think it was years I do later. A weekend like, binge, do it, man! Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. I introduced the kids to it; they love it, you know. And, and uh, I revisited part three because... And the soundtrack you
0: know, is, I know, amazing.
1: Oh, man, it's incredible. Everything about it. Yeah, it's just, it's one of those movies that, yes, you know, it might have some of its plot hole details and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, it's just, it's so good. Like, it'd be a shame if anyone ever tried to make a remake, you know. <laughs> but, like, uh, part three, I remember as a kid kind of not liking it and, The part I didn't like about it the most, I guess, was the very end, you know, how Doc Brown kind of just decides, well, I'm going to keep time traveling anyway, you know, after all the lessons we've learned (laughs) from doing it, like, but I don't know, it is, it is what it is, but, you know, you go back and watch it, and now that I'm the age that I am, and I'm like, I I have such an appreciation for it much more than I did, Um, all except the fact that if you watch... Of course, ZZ Top is in it in part three, and they're playing guitars. I love ZZ Top. And being the guitar nerd that I am, they're supposed to be in the 1800s. And ZZ Top is there playing these acoustic guitars, you know, that they kind of twirl around on their belt at one point.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you look at the guitars.
1: One of them is a dreadnought. At least one of them is a dreadnought. And then every time I look at that scene, I go, the dreadnought wasn't invented until the 1930s. <laughs> this is a loophole. You know, like, <laughs> no one else cares, you know, of course, but I'm the one that has to point it out, you know, at least in my own head and go like, ah, nah, that's not the correct time period. You know, so <laughs> uh, all right. Second question. <laughs> what was your favorite childhood drink? Mine was was tropical flavored Gatorade that they don't make anymore.
0: That's a really great question. I'm a huge fan of chocolate Nesquik uh, Mm. milk. So yeah, I would say it's kind of like a double header between Nesquik chocolate milk and maybe between a Shirley Temple or, you know what, Capri Suns, because I Mm. used to play soccer. And um, when I was, it was like this league called AYSO. So out there in Kenya I forgot what, the actual um park was called, but you know, it's one of these soccer fields that has like yeah. 12 of them or whatever. And I just <laughs> yep. Capri Suns, Capri Suns were a huge staple yeah. in my childhood. And I mean, even that chocolate nest quick, I had one last night, and I always think about it. So <laughs> so that's a huge one for me.
1: That's awesome. That's cool. So awesome. All right, and last one, this is a would you rather? Uh very Wonderful. fitting. Yeah. Would you rather take lime juice to the eyes or get a hammer to your thumb?
0: <laughs> um, I'll do the hammer to the thumb. yeah um, <laughs> Because Sounds I feel good. like I've jammed it quite, quite a bit, you know, even like kind of like kicking things at night. I feel like I've yeah. kind of desensitized myself to kicking something. And, you know, you kind of want to just like yell, but you just internalize it. And there's like a small <laughs> part of you that just dies. So yeah. I feel like hammering the the thumb would really, 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 really suck. But something mm-hmm. about like lime to the eyes, it might be like a 10 second ordeal or it might be something that can affect you for quite some time <laughs> yeah. you know you know so and it could probably like mess you up even beyond then because what if you Maybe, scratch your cornea and then you get an right. infection or something it's like we're might as well i'll just i'll just uh, bust my
1: thumb up right <laughs> all right well that's that's fair enough fair enough i totally <laughs> yeah i mean that's kind of a hard one you know but it's not that's not as hard of a question as if you had a Les Paul or Telecaster, well, maybe
0: maybe it depends. <laughs> maybe I'll take a li- if I'm having a good time and I'm having a tequila shot and or maybe I'm drinking a, a michelada or something somewhere. Yeah. and the Lime goes in my eye. Okay, that's a little more fitting, than, right? <laughs> no, I think most time ten nine times out of ten, I'll probably take the hammer to the thumb.
1: <laughs> nice, <laughs>
0: but um, dude, just again, just want to say thanks so much, and yeah, thank I don't you. know if they're open. And I don't know if you like them, but if you can have some Chicos tacos for me.
1: Oh, dude! Um, I have risked it a couple of times. I have actually. Uh, they're they're doing the social <laughs> distancing. They're doing the separate tables. They they the security guard makes you if you don't have your mask on, like the security guard makes you put your mask on. Yeah, so I I have actually chanced it a couple of times. So I for sure will. Uh, I will take a photo and document it and everything <laughs> if I do that. <laughs> no, if I, I love that, that in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> again, thank you so much for your yeah, time thank you. here, Boot. You know, I know we'll be talking, but I can't wait until I can hold one of your guitars and uh, have it in my room with me. So that time will come one day. Thank it. you,
1: man. Thank you, man. Looking forward to it. Also, thanks, man, and thank you Absolutely. for having me. That's it's been really fun.
0: No, it's been great. Well, thanks again, Boot. Well, there's my interview with Boot. What a treat! We learned about his upbringing, why people call him Boot his time in South Carolina running a guitar shop, his drive and dedication to devoting himself to his craft, and so much more. Inspiration comes in all forms. Boot's passion for guitar building is evident, and the beauty behind it is that it goes beyond when he finishes a guitar and ships it out. This instrument is now an extension of its owner and will be there through many highs and lows, and will have many songs played and written on it. There's so many wonderful things I could say about boot, and that's another reason why this episode is a special one. A hard worker, an extremely talented individual, a family man, and just an overall awesome person. I hope if you're a guitar player, you learned about taking care of your acts, and if you're not, maybe it's time you pick up a guitar and learn how to play. It's never too late. As always, thanks for tuning in. You can go to interviewswithchris.com for any previous material or go on any major platform where you can hear a podcast. If you like what you're hearing, then subscribe and give some positive feedback. Thanks again, everybody, and I'll see you next time.